y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Let's kick off the year with the longest RDTN review ever for John Company 2nd Edition, plus reviews for Dungeons & Dragons Onslaught, Hickory Dickory, and the new Nidavalier expansion. And the first taste buds of the year is Moon Pie Flavored Cotton Candy. It sounds like it's going to be an okay year. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to the first full episode of 2023 of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, episode 279, Take the Long Way Home. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. Take the Long Way Home is from one of my all-time favorite albums, not just of Supertramp, but my all-time favorite albums of theirs. And now the name just slipped me. Breakfast in America? Thank you. <laughs> my all-time oh. favorite album, who I don't even remember the name of. It's amazing. <laughs> One of the best albums ever recorded by Best band. album ever. What oh was my the name God. of it? I don't know. I do remember there is a waitress holding up a tray mm-hmm. like the Statue of Liberty on the cover of the album. No, seriously. The first song to last song, every song on there is absolutely. In fact, my least favorite song on there, Take the Long Way Home. Why is that? It's, it's overplayed. Mm. Man, from beginning to end, amazing stinking. That's so, a logical song. And uh, <laughs> logical stra- song. Uh, Stranger. Um, wow. My favorite album. Favorite, I can't, I can't name all the songs on two it. Best songs. album of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Breakfast in America is one of the songs. <laughs> Super, I could probably name every artist on it, but I can't name a single song. <laughs> Goodbye, stranger. There it is. Goodbye, Goodbye stranger. stranger. Logical oh, yeah. song. Breakfast yeah, yeah, in America. Yeah, yeah. Take uh, take the long way home. Uh, something childhood. The last song on there is really really good. Uh, anyway, anyway. So I'm glad you picked Take the Long Way Home. I I don't know the reason why because you picked Take the Long Way oh, Home. Oh, I do. This is this okay. was very easy for us. We have probably one of our longest reviews of a game in our podcast history, and it took us forever to take the long way home. <laughs> It took we it took us forever to bring it home, baby. We were like, oh, this game, yeah, we can get this covered in no time. Or when you hear the beginning of the uh, review for John Company's second edition, take the long way home because it's gonna make sure and give yourself at least y'all forty five minutes. So we recorded this earlier. We played the game we wanted to talk about it was fresh in our mind. So. Forewarned, it's a 45-minute review on a game that took us six and a half hours to play. So it's a, it's a deep dive into like a first impressions of John's second company, but we had so much to say about the game. The lyrics in Take the Long Way Home from this album, I don't know if you've heard about it, Breakfast in America from Supertramp. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I first one of the best albums of all time. But there are, time. Time, there are times that you feel you're part of the scenery. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that, okay, I could see that in that game. All the greenery is coming down, boy. And then your wife seems to think you're part of the furniture. Okay. You yep. got wives in that game, you know? Oh, in particular, she's used to be so nice. And, and just, there's just various things that I said. Okay. And then we took the long way home to bring that review home. <laughs> but you're absolutely, I love <laughs> your, your analysis better. I tell you what, for those of you who are getting in shape in 2023, why don't you exercise to our review of John Company and see how long you hold out? You need to go. This is this is a shout out to one of our uh, good buddies, uh, uh, Mr. Reese, Jerry. There you go, man. Get on get on the elliptical. Get on the treadmill. Do what you do and see if you can make it. So I had to go fix it. So 
The last song on the album is Child of Vision. That's the one I couldn't remember. It's an amazing piano solo at the end of that song. Really, really good. So, one of the best 10 songs on that, and everyone is good. And the one I always skip happens to be Take the Long Way Home. See, I always funny. enjoy that one. I don't know why you skip that one. It gets overplayed for me. So does Logical Song, but every time Logical Song comes on, I crank the thing up. That is such a good song. Amazing album. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. All right, so one of the things I need to address with you is, so I have notifications turned on for on my computer from Discord. Okay. So oh, that's a mistake, but go ahead. Yes. <laughs> we, because of the contest that happened, we've gotten a lot of people joining. Thank you for everyone that's over in the Discord channel. And now I'm getting all these little things coming across my screen of Discord. I got to go in there and turn off those notifications. I'm like, what is going on? I guess that worked. It does work. And thank you for everybody who has joined. Our Discord community is so flipping amazing. Once we hit 500, I'm just randomly picking somebody in the channel or the, the server to get a $50 gift card to Miniature Market. And Tony, I'm thinking about, I'm pitching this to you right now. Oh. This is probably a bad thing to do to pitch on air. Mm -hmm. I was thinking like, so we get the, some games in from publishers to review. They're so nice to us and we just don't have the space or room to keep everything. Maybe once a month we put out a poll. Hey, there's, there's a game we're going to give away. Which game would people want? And then let them pick which game we want to give away in the Discord channel. And then they can basically, you know, click a thumbs up when we say, okay, this is the game we're giving away. Click a thumbs up if you want to be entered into the contest and we'll pick one and just send them that game for free. That helps you and I to get stuff off of our shelf and give back to the community. I'm good with that because I was already getting ready to downsize. And these are my, these are my own personal games that I'm like, in 2022, I picked up some games as I continue to look for games that are two player specific. Mm -hmm. I need to get rid of some games that I know that as much as I love them, I will never get them played. Yeah, I understand that. I'm, I'm the same way, man. Same way. I mean, there is Mare Nostrum. I love that game. Yep. But I know. But I have a copy. But I have a copy. But you so and I won't. Anytime you want to play, you can play. Yeah, but we won't always be together. I love you, buddy, but come on now. There's going to be a how, time when. How dare you? How dare you? Are you breaking up with me right now? Wow. First time, first episode of 233 is breaking up with me, y'all. Well, let's face facts. You've got three. I've got one kid. I guarantee mine's getting married in 2023. I know what's coming in my future. I already have grand dogs. So I know what's going to happen. Do you honestly think my wife is going to let me hang out in Charlotte, North Carolina when the grandbabies start growing up? Well, if the grandbabies live in Charlotte, what you got to do is just get them to live nearby so you can easily see them. They're talking about well, after he gets out of the military that they'll settle down in Virginia. So there's a possibility. That's close. Yeah, but I thought you were going to go to the farm in Mississippi. I mean, yeah, she's got some land that we'll eventually inherit that we'll maybe build something and like visit. I ain't, I ain't living in Mississippi. It's hot down there. It's hot. It's human, real man. hot down here. It's crazy hot and human. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so uh, Discord, we, we, uh, it's just it's so good. We got so many things going on. So I thought, you know, I'm going to give back some more Discord channel. So we're going to start just giving away games randomly to people in Discord channel. And Tony, I don't know if you've been out there recently. Did you see that I started an adults only channel? Yes, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what is this going to be about? Where are we going with this? Is this like Cards yeah. for Humanity After Dark? What are we going to discuss here? Do I need to mute this channel? <laughs> so, y'all, it's an RDTN version of Adults Only. Here's the topics in our Adults Only channel. Auto repairs, oh. fitness and health, home care, lawn care. <laughs> 
as it should be. So, especially for adulting. <laughs> because we're always, everybody, y'all, we talk so much about, oh my crap, my washer just went out. Anybody got recommendations for washers? Oh, shoot, my car just went out. Anybody got any suggestions for that? Those are happening all the time. So you know what? I'm going to create a section just for the stuff that we as adults, responsible adults, have to deal with. Yeah. I need to add one. I want to add, um, after spending two weeks, three weeks, with my grand dogs, I I want to add pet care. Pet care. That's a good one. Yeah, everybody's got pets. Good one. Good one. I mean, you got one of the best dogs ever, Taz. He's one of the best. No, Well, until you walk him and he wants to go sniff and he gets easily distracted and he terrifies other dogs because he's big and black and everybody's terrified of him. So I'm actually seeing, can you teach an old dog new tricks? Yes. And for like a week, I've been trying to teach him basically look at me as a... <laughs> What? I'm just thinking about your kids. Look at me. Okay, now you're going for the dog. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a leash it's a leash training yes. thing. Very short on the leash. Yes. And basically look at me, he'll stop and look. I'll give him a treat if he does mm-hmm. it. The goal is is when a dog comes around or some distraction, I can yes. say that so he won't he's not at that point yet. Now when a dog comes by, he won't I'm getting in front of look at me and he's like trying to get around me to see the other <laughs> dog. So we we got a ways to go, but he is getting when nothing else is around, he will do it. So now can he do it when somebody walks by? So that's that's the goal. We're going to see can you teach an old dog new tricks? Yes, you can. At any time. One of my favorite channels and I'll put that over there and when I create this channel is Beckman's Dog Training on YouTube mm. and I've been using some of his techniques techniques with my daughter's dog i wish i could let taz have at him for a little bit or her to to calm her down she needs a good correction all right by another dog we don't need this oh well she's gone now she's back up in virginia well good because taz sent our other dog zeke to the hospital oh no Mm, i hate that it was one of those situations both said i what Zeke said, I'm alpha. I'm older than you. Taz said, well, I'm bigger than you. I'm now alpha, 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 alpha. And they would not resolve it. And then Taz got to the point. He would basically pin uh, Zeke to the ground with his uh-huh. mouth around his throat. Uh-huh. And one time he bit a little too hard and punctured his neck and had to go get stitches. Ooh. Usually when that happens, the alpha that was thinking it was alpha quickly reverts to I'm no longer alpha. Nope. That's a problem. That he was did a, not. Zeke had a problem there. He had a mental problem. He needed to get get corrected. When Taz was a puppy, Zeke pushed Taz around. Ah. Just pushed him out of the way. And it was like, and then it was a, uh, so I think there's a little bit of stuff going on in Taz's head too. It's like, I remember that what that other dog used to do to me. And I don't want anybody else to do that to me either. So I think that's why he yeah. gets obsessed with other dogs now. Taz has Rottweiler in him. I have no idea. We need to get a DNA test. No, you we don't. No- Look at that fur. What a Rottweiler doesn't have that salt of fur. I want to know what's in him that gives him the salt fur. Oh, Y'all, he has oh the saltest gosh. fur of any dog I've ever. It's ridiculous. I don't know. It's a. It's not a. He looks like a Rottweiler, but it's not Rottweiler fur. No, no. That's what I mean. Look at the color. The coloring. His coloring is pure Rottweiler. But you're right. That fur is amazing. He told us he was an Australian Shepherd mix. Okay, fine. By the way, speaking of dogs, we watched the. Uh, what's the big? Uh, dog show each year, Wester, Westminster, uh, Westminster. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we watched that today. I somehow we got hooked into that. And of course, immediately Vanessa and I wanted to watch Best in Show, best in show. comedy <laughs> Best in Show, because all I could think of was Willard Scott, rest in peace, to some of the comments that he made. But what do you call that dog? Oh, that's a Shih Tzu. Oh, you got to be careful when you just say that word. <laughs> 
my, my, fav- my favorite of all of them. My favorite. Best in Show? Best in Show. Oh, yeah. Y'all, if y'all haven't seen Best in Show, one of the funniest mockumentaries is from the same guys that did Spinal Tap. So they did Spinal Tap first, then Best in Show, then it did a few more after that. So funny. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, it just it's so funny watching them at the show and how they run and how they look and everything. And all I can think about is the movie. But the big winner today was a hound dog. <laughs> it wasn't a plot hound, was, was first- it? It was a bloodhound. Yeah. Oh, it was a bloodhound. It wasn't a North Carolina bloodhound. Okay. It was not a bloodhound. Okay. Uh, which was one of the in best in show. Remember the guy from North Carolina? His was a hound. Is this a hound? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, a hound dog uh, won, which is kind of cool. That is kind of cool. Okay. 2023, we always we always get our healthcare in as well. That's our another adult channel with the fitness and the healthcare and all. And <clears throat> I scared Marty because... I went okay. At the end of 2022, we all we all meet. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I've now caught up to what where Tony's going in his show notes. He has. I don't mean to spoil this. He has mole removal. I'm immediately thinking, I hate it too, dude. I've got like moles mm-hmm. and vermin in my yard. So I immediately <laughs> thought that's what we we're going to talk about. Because I'm like, I've got stories here too. <laughs> well, you might. You so might have totally it. Totally different. But yeah, completely different mole removal. So 2022, we maxed out our deductible. So I was hitting the doctors in December. Bam, 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 bam. Getting all that done. Went to the dermatologist. And they said, mm, we don't like the look of that mole. Hmm. We're going to take a little section off of it. I said, fine, whatever. So it comes back. Everything's good. But they're like, that is still right on the verge of being bad. We need to remove it. And I'm like, really? Or do you just need a jet ski for Christmas? Which ding ding, (laughs) which do you need from me? And so it was, it, it was not, it was no bigger than a freaking inch. Mm-hmm. And I swear they cut me forever. What? So you were just local anesthesia. Yeah, local anesthesia. Yeah, dug. Yeah, well, we gotta get to the edges, and then when we're going to the edges, then we got to bring it in. It was like I had two lips below my breast pressed together, where they had to sew it up, and I'm still dealing with that thing. I'm like, holy cow! But my point is, here in healthcare, you need to go see that dermatologist. Yeah, you do, and he showed it to me. It was ugly. God, it was ugly. That's regardless of age too, right, Tony? Uh-huh. You should really, any sort of sun exposure, you should really be going. I, my, my kids go yeah. uh, once a year. Typically, most insurances cover it. it the, what this, the exam takes 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the most. Mm-hmm. It's basically, if you've never been before, it's literally just a doctor looking all over every inch of your body for anything that looks suspicious. And typically, I've had this too. If something looks odd, they scrape it off or, or get it. They run a biopsy on it. Most of the time, it comes back, no issue. We'll see you next year. And most of the times you'll go, it's like, nothing at all. We'll see you next year. That's Easiest right. exam ever. Easiest exam, but my that mole got a scale. It was an 11. Actually, I don't know what the scale was. He just said, we need to get that out. I said, okay, fine. Well, good. Yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you took care of that. And as a follow-up, since we're in healthcare, I think the last time that we recorded, yes. I was in the process of prepping for the colonoscopy. Again, best sleep ever. I st- I, so that that's only the nice. second time I've ever been. It is so weird. I thought this time <laughs> I was I was lying there. So they roll you into, if you're in a colonoscopy, so basically they put IV in you and then they roll you into a room, roll you on the side, and they just verify what's your name, blah, 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 blah. Okay, here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, so good night. And then they just put the, uh, the uh, anesthesia into the IV and then you go to sleep. So Tony, I said this year, 
I said, I'm not going to go to sleep. I'm going to fight this. Oh, yeah. Right. So he says, good night. And I went, I'm not. That's it. And then I wake up. It's like, oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I had in my head. I thought, I'm going to see if I can fight this. You ain't going to fight that stuff. <laughs> oh, but but uh, good news. Doctor came in and said, no polyps, no issues. See you in five years. Good for you. I, I get to go back a year later. <laughs> Yay. I'm sorry. That's all but, right. But no, it's not it's not a sorry. That's good. That's be, hey, best That's sleep good. ever. You'd rather you'd rather do that than the alternative. Yep. Now we're done adulting here on RDTN. It is time to go into some serious business. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's what is our first taste buds of 2023? That's it. Let's do it. times tony uh people provide us ideas or stuff for taste tests but this time it's you that's right that brought the taste test subject for this episode yes and how and i have not gotten cellophane off yet so won't you tell us about what it is while i work to get this off so did a little walmart scavenge hunting after christmas and i was over there in the 50 percent off aisle looking at the stocking stuffers that didn't sell and they had a whole bunch of stuff that had this favorite brand of ours, Moon Pie, on it. And I had said, whoa, what, what is this? And I stopped by, 50% off. I'm like, this, this is definitely taste test. It's Moon Pie cotton candy. Mmm. And then they tempt you. They put two Moon Pies in the top of this, two chocolate Mini Moon, moon Pies. pies. Mm-hmm. Mini Moon Pies. You're absolutely right. And I, so I grab it, I get it. And then I said, why is there a banana on this reusable Moon Pie cup? Because it's flavored banana cotton candy why i guess chocolate cotton candy would be weird yeah Uh, so let me ask you something do you like i love bananas love bananas love i do too Mm -hmm. i don't really like banana flavored stuff i'm the same way because i know it's fake Mm -hmm. and and wasn't it sarah erickson that pointed out to us that you and i eating bananas was not the same flavor of bananas 50 years ago and that's where the banana flavoring leans back to yeah it was yeah that was something like there was a a brand or gene or type of banana that died out mm-hmm. and it was replaced with another type or something like that it right. was really interesting somebody go back and y'all go go search sarah erickson in our archives and go listen to that episode and go to the timestamp about bananas she knew a lot about it because she is a was that a geneticist? Uh, yeah, something like that. Oh my god! Some, she was. A, she's a scientist, and they had to do studies on that. It was really, really interesting. Yeah. So I, I assume you like banana pudding, sir. But I do love banana pudding. But well, that has bananas. Oh, but you, but you, yeah, that's banana pudding with actual bananas and vanilla pudding, vanilla wafers on top. Vanilla wafers with with vanilla pudding. Oh, Nilla pudding. Yes, not banana pudding. Yes, I'm with you. Nilla pudding, actual bananas, and, uh, you know, I've got a pocket knife right here if you want to borrow it. No, that's okay. My incisors worked really well. Stuff, even oh, wow. Yeah. Talking about health care. Now you got to go to the dentist. 
Of, that's just twice a year, dude. So, so we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting into this beautiful piece of... They've real, they really did a good job. Uh, y'all, I, I have a trusty little pocket knife because, you know, my grandpappy always said, I always care to have a pocket knife with me around. He's still trying to get into his. That's fine. Good for you. You can't carry that it pocket knife. It is a nice knife. container. Though. I, I will be keeping this cup. Yeah. It's a nice cup. Yep. You. Chocolate flavored cotton candy tastes weird. Uh-huh. So I guess they went with the next most popular thing that they sell. Well, I see more lemon than probably anything else. So I have a question though. Does it say moon pie is, is, does it say banana flavored on it? I'm trying to look because there's a big banana holding it. That's a moon. This is chocolate. Oh. That, that moon looks Boy, like that a looks freaking like a banana. banana. So what you need to do on our thumbnail, Tony, take a picture of this because it does look like it's a banana, but I think you're right. I think it, it's the, <clears throat> it is the little moon guy. Mm-hmm. If you look in the little logo for since 1917, mm-hmm. it's him. It's him. So I was like, that's why I, they misled me. Bait and oh, switch. Well, let's peel, let's, peel, let's peel the top off and see if what we smell here. Chocolate. That's chocolate. <laughs> So y'all, y'all, we did this entire bit on bananas, and it's not banana. Oh, y'all, y'all help see how prepped we are. We, that is chocolate, baby. Well, we're we, just sniffing it, y'all. That's what part of the taste Actually, is. We don't know. That that smells really good. It does. Now, cotton candy. Are you a fan? Yes, but I rarely eat it. I was never a fan of cotton candy. I didn't like okay. the. I did not like the fact that I put it in my mouth and it disappeared. That freaked me out as a kid. And then your fingers are really sticky after that too. Yeah, so I get. I could. And I guess we're, what we're going to do just dig our fingers into this. I guess or lick it. Well, let's see. Well, no, it feels it feels like cotton candy. I'm pulling it out now. Yeah. Be careful! It's going to pull out the whole thing. Ooh. I'm ripping into it. All right. Here we so, go. So yeah, y'all. It's a consistency of really thick cotton candy. Mm-hmm. Or actually, it feels more like insulation. It does. <laughs> cotton candy always feels like insulation, doesn't it? You ready? Uh, yeah, let's give this, give this a try. Here we go. Well, it's really good. Woo! I don't, I don't know if I'd say it set, it's moon pie, but it's really, really good. And it's sweet, baby. Wow. Oh, my gosh, it's sweet. I'm having some more. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. How y'all. come this didn't sell it? Walmart. All right, y'all. Go to Walmart. Look for moon pie cotton candy. If you got kids, they're going to go crazy over this. This is good. What? What's wrong? Almost a little too sweet. I look for me. on your face. It's almost a little too sweet for me. Wow. Mm. Yeah. But, I'm it up after this all right. One. So now put that aside. Now I'm going to get out one of the moon pie minis and compare. So they gave us a moon pie mini. Okay. And you got two moon pies. I mean, this this is a gift that keeps giving here. Mm. And that stuff well, will probably never go bad. Probably not. I will definitely be showing it, passing around my family. They will want to try this. Moon pie minis, they're only like 110 calories, which is good. Nope. <clears throat> cotton candy doesn't taste like this. Mm-mm. It's good cotton candy, but it doesn't taste like moon pie. It doesn't taste like moon pie at all. Interesting. Mm. Very interesting. Mm. Wow. In fact, the cotton candy's sweeter than the moon pie. Mm-hmm. The moon pie's never been really sweet. Uh-uh. So anyway. So, well anyway, so I, the best two dollars I've ever spent, baby. 
and I was dreading this because I thought, I don't want no banana flavored. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no, but look at it. Look, the, also, the moon is holding cotton candy that looks yellow. Mm-hmm. We were snooker, snickerdoodled. Uh, yeah. Would they have any other moon pie paraphernalia? Well, that was no, it. that was it at Walmart. That was the only thing. That, so it's a stocking stuffer. Yeah. Well, I know this. I will, This is a nice cup. I will be keeping this cup in the cabinet for drinking water, et cetera, for the future. Hey, maybe that'll be my drinking cup on future episodes of Two Incredible Studs. You're the one that sang it. You should be saying it. Oh, I'm sorry. Taste buds. There. Our direct line to Portal Games. Wish just a happy new we, year. We have a direct line? Yes, we do. Does he have like a red phone there that so when we call, he like, it's like the bat phone. Does he have the RDTN phone, the squirrel phone? He's got the squirrel phone, but he's got the bat phone because Ignacy has been working on new content for his Batman detective series. Matter of fact, oh. Ignacy is releasing, if you haven't looked, some more of his blogs, short little blog things, certain conversations. But he recently was, took a little break. Clear his mind. Get ready for all the great things coming from Portal Games in 2023. I can't wait to see what he's got in store for us. Even if you're waiting for his next releases, you can't go wrong with Robinson Crusoe, the detective series, Basilica, and then, of course, one that Marty and I played in 2022 that we really enjoyed, and that was Brazil. Can't wait to get it to the table in 2023. Be sure to head over to Shop Portal Games com for all of their incredible values, sales, accessories that come with the game, such as a Stronghold Undead neoprene mat. I still got to get that, and I will as soon as I get the Stronghold Undead to the table. If we don't have one, I think we should install a hot phone directly to Ignacy. I'm sure he would love that. I know he would. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. In 2022, Tony, you and I played a game that we absolutely fell in love with, Nidavellir, a bidding game where you blind bid on cards that you're going to play to try to generate the most points. And since then, they put out a couple uh, expansions, and we just got to try the latest expansion, Itavol. This is from designer Serge Legat. Publisher is Gurr, Gurr Games. G-R-R-R-R-E. <laughs> and of course, Danny, how do you say this? Ashat Board Games. So Tony, so we, you and I played the other expansion of Nidavellir. And you like Nidavellir, right? Yeah, I did. I mean, one, one of the good things about it is not being on the table in a while, it wasn't that hard to remember how to play it. It wasn't that hard to remember how to play it. The only thing was a refresher oh, on the scoring oh, for I, all the different types of Vikings or dwarves. And then the different abilities of the different heroes. So what does this expansion Idavol add? What it adds is, is in the first age, you have two ages where you do bidding. It adds a deck of cards that's going to be put. At, there are three taverns that you're bidding on to pull cards from. At the second tavern, you have new cards that you can bid on that are like Valkyries, which are basically ways that if there's actions that you do, depending on type of Valkyrie, you can add additional points at the end of the game. There are monsters that just kind of go into play and do things for you. There are giants, which are cool, where the goal is is to capture a certain type of Viking or dwarf 
And if you do, then it triggers their ability. And lastly, a god, which basically has a one-time use or one-time game ability. And that's what's being added, but they're only in the first age. Mm -hmm. And then after they're gone, you play the game as normal. And really, Tony, that's about it for this expansion. Right. So what have they added to you is the ability to gain additional points, ways to manipulate your board. Like one of the gods I had gave me the ability to, so when you complete a set of the various dwarves, you know, you get to go get a hero. And that's just my terms. I had a God that said, well, that's the right term. Is it? Okay. Well, it works yeah. for me. My God allowed me that if the hero I chose isn't really the best one that maybe I, something else, my strategy had to change, then I could go get somebody else. Yeah. And my giant ability was that, Hey, if you capture a warrior, when you score warriors at the end of the game, also include your highest value token that you've gotten during the course of the game. Now, typically warriors score that whoever has the highest rank in warriors gets to add their highest token. So this kind of broke that rule, giving you the ability to do it for yourself without having the highest rank. So there's a bunch of different of these new types of cards that are added, which is really nice. But Tony, I think the the downside for me in these expansions is there's just now more cards to try to learn to where as we were playing the game, we had to have the rule book with us to what does this one do? What does this one do? And even after being away from Nidalevere for a while, we had to pull out that main mm-hmm. rule book to remind us what the heroes do. Right. But that's that game. So if you were to play it, say, because it's a fast game, other than setup, quick, fast game to play. So we could, you know, we were done in 30 minutes, I think, even with the. Yes, 30 minutes. We timed it. Uh, aside from having to read everything, we were able to, to go with the game, play it, done, play it again, rinse and repeat if we want to. Does the expansion add something? That's the question I always ask myself when there's an expansion. What does it add to the base game that will make a need for this to be in the game? For the second expansion that came out, I really don't remember it that well. You tried to remind me. This expansion, it's breaking rules. I've always liked expansions that break the rules. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, the second expansion, uh, we remember we talked about oh, yeah. that we liked that because it added, it added weapons or items. Items. Uh, that came in. So that also added new cards. Mm-hmm. Now, this this uh, expansion does make the first age one round longer. Right. So it does add one more round of bidding to the standard base game. But this expansion, there's not like 500, 500 ridiculous. So there's not like 30 cards, right? Uh, it's 20-something cards. 20-something like cards. 24, yeah, some brand new cards, yeah. So it's not something that you can't you know digest. It's actually something right. if someone else, you've played Nettleveer, you can quickly go over the base rules with them and say, okay, and here's the expansion. This is one of those expansions that you're like, okay, I want this ability to be in here versus the constant of just the basic thing for two ages. This breaks right. it up. This is what this expansion does for me. Is it necessary? I'm still out on that. I'm not sure if it's necessary, but it is something I really enjoy. Well, here's the thing. There, there's some uh, expansions in the past for other games we've said, you need this expansion mm-hmm. now for this game. I think, was it Lorenzo one of those? Lorenzo. I'm trying to remember some games where we said, okay, you've got to buy this expansion. Oh, a Lost uh, Ruins of Arnak was one I said, you got to play with the that. expansion because mm-hmm. it just makes it better. You don't have to have Nidavalier's expansion. No. If you enjoy the base game, fantastic. But what it does, if you just want a few more cards added, if we some more special abilities... Now you have a brand new expansion, Itaval, along with, with a thing of Valir, 
the other expansion. So there's, and they're inexpensive, real small box. You put the cards in your base box. It doesn't take up any more space. So it does add some additional content to the base game of Nidavellir. Yes. Enjoyed it. I, I tell you to go get it. If you, if you really, it's one of those things. If you enjoy the freaking game, go ahead and get the expansion. Exactly. And at miniature market at only $20 might be worth throwing it in your base box. Five minute initiative is complete. One of your New Year's resolutions should be to make sure that your topper for your games look as good as the games. And for John Your Com- topper? You mean, you mean like your box cover? That. Yeah, you could do that. Or a game topper on top of your table. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That makes more sense. Yeah. So when we were playing John Company, it was a good thing that we had the side rails up for the topper. You mean the game we're getting ready to talk about? Mm-hmm. That one. Oh, yeah, okay. Because we, yeah. we were rolling some dice and we were taking some names in John Company. And if we didn't have those side rails up, that would um, that create a boundary for all those massive rolls, dice would have been everywhere. So be sure to head over to Game Toppers LLC to check out all their great stuff. I'm sure Kevin is putting together something special for 2023. Can't wait to see what he has in store for us. That's GameToppersLLC.com. Tony, you and I have been playing games for so long that a lot of the games that we play are from designers who have been designing for decades, right? Who's been in this industry for quite a long time. So it's really cool when you see a younger designer come up and just change the landscape, really make waves. And I was, I had to look up the term, make sure I'm using it right. I would say this designer is prolific and I had to go make sure I was using it correctly. Marked by abundant inventiveness. And I think that's exactly what designer Cole Worley is. He's a prolific designer. He's only 36 years old. I looked at He was born in 1986, man. What? Yeah, 1986. What kind of of world experiences has he had to come up with some of the games he's designing? 36? You know, what were we doing when we were 36? I don't want to say. I do not want to say because that sounds horrible. Okay, we were in college. Not not when we were 36. No, no. What we were doing when we were 36. Yeah. Uh, Exactly. We had we had our our children. I mean, you know, we had were, a mortgage. Uh, yeah, yeah some we kids. were just working. I mean, it's not like we had these bright ideas coming in, and <laughs> and that's amazing. Uh, that is amazing. That that just shows you how some people are wired. I didn't yes. realize that. Yep. And so you're thinking, wait a minute, that name sounds familiar. Well, that's because you've probably played the game. His probably most popular game is Root. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's published through Leader Games, extremely popular game. Uh, on this show, we talked about PAX Premier Second Edition. He mm-hmm. updated that. Just he's released Oath. You and I haven't played, had a chance to play Oath yet. And he also designed the game that we're going to be talking about today, John Company. And we played the second edition of this game. There was a first edition. He wanted to tweak some stuff, and a second edition came out. Now, Tony, before we get into this, right as I opened the box to John Company Second Edition, there is a page right on top. And I'm just going to read a couple sentences here, which sets the tone for this game that we're getting ready to explain, because this is different than many games you and I have ever played. Okay, I'm ready for it. All right. It says, Dear Player, this is a big game, and it is best digested slowly. I would suggest first reading the introduction on the cover of the rules, 
then punch out the components. Then he goes through, there's a couple trays in there, how to organize. Oh, thank you. Thank you, by the way, for showing like the inserts and where mm. to put stuff in the inserts. Mm. Every publisher needs to do that. So it continues. He says, okay, once you have a handle on the components, I suggest making a cup of coffee and setting aside an hour or so to read through the rules. Treat the game like learning a new role-playing game. Though the individual elements of the game are straightforward, there are a lot of them. Take your time. We took some time. So I love how he just basically just sets this up. It's like, here's what you're getting ready to get into. And it really does set the tone for the game. It does. Because, yeah, we had to take some time. Took a lot of freaking time. But, yeah. What was the total time? Six and a half hours. The, the, the <laughs> probably the longest or second longest game of my life. Four players mm-hmm. playing. The, get this, y'all. The shortest scenario. Oh, man. There's three scenarios. They recommended playing uh, the seventeen ten scenario, which is considered the shortest, which is basically five rounds. Mm-hmm. The other scenarios are seven or eight rounds. First off, I remember playing PAX Premier with you, Mark, and I believe it was Nate. Yes. And I don't remember if I liked it or not. I like the card market. I like getting the cards. Remember remember the cloth mat uh-huh. with the different shapes that you would put down on the map and everything. Uh-huh. I, I enjoyed it. I played it a few times. I don't remember. I've only played it one. I know, okay. I know it was a five-minute initiative on episode number 181. How in the world did we make that a five-minute initiative? I don't know, but pat on the back to us. I hate to say I, I don't remember it, but I do remember. You know, I don't remember the rules. But if you had told me walking into your basement during game day to say, hey, I'm going to put on the table a game that is going to take us six and a half hours, I might have turned around. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. I watched the intro video of it. Mm-hmm. This doesn't look too bad. So I, I was, I was kind of enjoying going into this. I was enjoying what it was about. I had seen the history on it, and I was very excited about that, trying to manage a company. I was also very curious on how we were going to play a game where you're going to get victory points for the ultimate winner, but yet it's a co-op. Yeah, semi. Yeah, I guess you call that semi-co-op, meaning you're trying to work together, but also you're trying to do your own personal goals to try. You're trying to do better than everybody else that you're working with. Right, but we're all part of a company. I mean, the whole part of John Company is we are the... East Indy Company, the one of the largest shipping magnet companies that ever existed, mm-hmm. and we are running the company, and how well can we do to run this company? And as always, there's infighting, and that's what you got going on here. I mean, that to me was the base theme of this game, was how could we manage this company and who was going to end up backstabbing one of us? Well, and, and so the thing is, each of us are playing as a family, mm-hmm. and we have family members that are being hired within this company, and they're trying to work their way up through the ranks. They're trying to get promotions, and along the way, as in with real business, uh, you may climb ov- over somebody else's back in order to get a higher position. That's right. You can negotiate. So, so you said this was a negotiation game, and, and Nate who is the king of negotiation games in our circle was coming. I said, Oh, we're going to have some trouble here. Cause he, anytime he talks to me about a game or when we're playing one of these games, I'm always second guessing his motives. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Nate, Nate is really good as we're sitting there playing. It's like, you know what? Um, we'll talk about what we're talking about men. It's like they're, they're, you will hire people in different roles and positions throughout the game, which is the one thing I thought was clever. And he'd be like, you know, I wouldn't mind being, you know, director of trade this turn. So, yeah, I'll take that on if, if nobody else wants it. And mm-hmm. you feel like, oh, look at that. He's just trying to to help us along and be be a good steward. And it's like, wait a minute. What's his real reason for wanting to take on that role? But we all have, we all bring our traits to the game. Like I'm sitting there recognizing that on him. And I know on my side, one of my traits is always going to try to be casting doubt in your decision. So every time, because you, you were sitting to my left, and every time you were making a decision, I'm like, ooh, how can I cast doubt in Marty's decision? <laughs> how can I make him question Nate or Bert? How can I force them to say, oh, wait a minute. I don't know if that's a good idea to throw judgment my way. Or maybe if I'm just sitting here being quiet and they know me, they know me well enough that if I'm being quiet, I'm up to something. Yeah. So use that, use my trait of that to try to win favor my way because that's what this game is. Yeah. So coming back to it, this very much a social game. And, and we all know I love social games, social deduction, but there's no deduction to this. But the thing is, is, is the fact that, you know, Nate said everything's, everything is negotiable. Everything is tradable, which mm-hmm. is, in fact, you actually have cards, favor cards, promise cards that you can hand out to other people. Say, look, I really want something. And say, well, here you go. Uh, why don't you give me your promise card that said at any time from now on, one time I can just say I'm taking two dollars from you. Mm-hmm. That's one of the promise cards there is. Uh, there's one about uh, nepotism. You're not able to hire somebody, or you can't choose to hire somebody in your own family unless somebody else agrees to it. It has to be a hundred percent consent vote. Well, you might take somebody else's consent card and, and say, well, I'm voting in favor of this because mm-hmm. I have your card saying I can vote in favor of nepotism. So everything is negotiable. Like you said, you can start casting doubt on people. So Nate comes in and starts teaching the game. And another thing I love on this first page, it says, when introducing John Company to new players, consider using a rolling teach. In this method, players will learn the game while playing. Before players arrive, complete the first eight setup steps and choose 1710 scenario, which I had done for everybody. And then once everybody is ready, spend five, 10 minutes just giving a general overview and then talk about each of the, the areas on the board. The map shows the area, it shows India, the different areas of India, how to read the board, and then jump into it. And I must say, for a rolling teach, this is a good game for that because the game is broken up into a lot of phases and basically just teach the phase when we get to it. Mm-hmm. And I will say, even after six and a half hours, everybody's going to say, well, that's a me turn off. It's not a hard game. It is no. not a hard game at all. It is straightforward. The board is laid out very well on the various phases that you have to do that you can walk through. Probably the hardest part, and we'll talk about this, are the event cards, but some of the things that occur during these events and the resolution of these events were the most difficult things we were encountering. Right. Everything else was very straightforward. And once we got it down, I I think, put it back on the table, this six and a half hours, even on the short segment, I think we could get it to three and a half. I had guessed four, but maybe three and a half. I was thinking maybe four, but possibly. Because I felt the last few rounds, we were going at a pretty good clip. And I still felt like we were taking about 45 minutes around. Yeah, but fatigue had set in. 
Nobody, yeah, true. There, there was no talking. There was no negotiating. And now I think we could get it on the table. More negotiation, more understanding of it. So the first game is basically, this is the game. Don't expect a lot of good, one of those things where you would go out and talk about the game later. You know, oh, do you remember when Marty did this and, and, and I responded that way? I didn't get that from yesterday's game. I do remember sitting there and saying, how can we speed this up? But other than that, I didn't get that. I did. Okay. Well, so I, Yeah, I did because this game to me is an experience game. This is one of those I remember, maybe because we sat there and, and played so long, but I just like uh, Thief. I've played Thief before one time. And I remember that one time sitting with a group of people and playing. I remember that experience. This has that same type of experience while I go, because it's just so different, the stuff mm-hmm. that we're doing here. Like you said, the phases are really simple. And we get, we'll talk about maybe what some of the phases are, but it's just literally walking through those phases and trying best to scrape just a few victory points here and there. Because I think at the end, Nate won with what, like, 18 victory points. You're not going to score a lot of points in this game. Well, the, the, the victory point track only goes up to, I think, 20. But I agree yeah. with you. It is an experience game, but I don't think the first – for you it was, for based on Link. I think if you play this more, you will have better, stronger experiences than that Got first it. game. Do not gauge this on that first play because it is – it's not a slog, but it is something that you have to see the mechanics come to play. You have to understand – for me, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, the next time I play this, how I want to engage. Whenever a game makes me think, all right, what do I do to make play it better? And how do I engage some of these core mechanics and use them to my advantage is a game that even though it was six and a half hours and I was tired, I was worn out, I went home, I'm like, I'll do it again. And that's unusual for me. That is unusual because you walked out pretty much spent. I was done. People were making jokes on our Discord channel. I said six and a half hours. And I remember people were saying, well, I guess Tony was gone. Tony ain't going to like this. So you've you've set a standard of like not liking really long games where I, on the other hand, have started to appreciate them more, especially if we have a day like we had to where there's nothing on my calendar. I'm sitting with friends just doing this one game and there's no rush. I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. It's rare to be able to do that, but when it happens, a four-plus-hour game is not going to bother me as long as I'm enjoying the game and the company. Exactly. It's got to be that. It's got to be non-fatiguing for me. Yeah. that's. And I don't think this was mentally fatiguing at all. It wasn't mentally fatiguing. Game. It was just, okay, how can we, we move it forward? Because once we hit that four-hour mark, I think the checkout began. That's why I'm saying if you get the people engaged, You understand it. It will go a lot faster. All right. So enough. That's the experience. We want to build this up because for us to tell you how to play this game, you're going to be lost because Marty's already told you that. We aren't going to do that, but we can give you some highlights of the things that you may be doing as you play this game. One of the biggest things is, and this is near the end, was I love how you had to retire people. That was fun. We'll talk about that. Retirement is so cool. Again, y'all, the whole premise is everybody is controlling a family. You have these tokens that represent your family, and these tokens are going to end up on the board in various positions within the company. They could be just basically what's called writers, maybe working in w- within a department. Mm-hmm. But then if you're in that department, you might be promoted to the head of another department, and then certain heads of departments might be promoted to CEO or, or chairman. Chairman, mm-hmm. absolutely. So one of the things is there is a very simple step called the action step. 
which gives you the ability to put family members in various boxes on the board. Marty said writers. That's some of the boxes. There's three boxes that you can put their family members into. You can put them into the military. You can put them in military. They become Mm -hmm. military participants. Oh, wait. You know, this is a shipping game. We need ships on the board. Maybe you want to go out and get a ship, buy a ship and get it out there in the seas and make you some money. Because for this game, the way you turn this around is you need the money to generate the various victory points that you need. Or at least that's how I thought about it, Marty. I was thinking that I need money so I can do certain actions like the retirement and the buying of the ships or buying luxury or buying workshops. I need that to generate my victory points. Yes. There's two pools of wealth in this game. There's your own personal family wealth and there's company wealth. You are trying to help the company make sure to stay afloat because the company can fail. And at the point, the company fails. There's a, there's a mark on the track that tracks whether you fail or not. If it fails, the game just stops at that point. So semi-cooperatively, we're trying to make sure the company stays afloat. Individually, we're trying to fill our own coffers because we need that money. Because during this step, we might want to buy a ship, purchase a luxury item, which generates some, actually generates actual victory points. Or purchase a workshop, which is good for uh, getting not only a, a money each turn, but if the company fails, investing in these workshops will generate victory points if the company fails. So you're hedging your bets at that point. You're hedging, just in case the company fails, I want to make sure to invest in some of these side businesses. And there is a check and balance right there. If you talk about someone wanting to invest a lot into workshops, they're not going to be able to generate the money later to be able to do that. And you can watch, so, so it's kind of a give and take. I was sitting there thinking, so next time I play this, I will definitely have some workshops just on the table in case someone suddenly decides to run it in the ground and end the game early. Somebody could choose to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody could get themselves in a position on a board to where they drive the, the uh, company into the ground and just run money out of the coffers, which hurts the company standing, which will eventually cause it to fail. The last thing you can do is try to get a share. Try to buy a share of the company. Shares are worth money because when you pay dividends, you'll make certain amount of uh, uh, money. If, if get this, y'all, if the whoever the chairman is decides to even pay dividends that round. And that is a hard decision for the chairman. Also, by buying shares, you help bring down the debt that the company has leveraged. So it's important that we all work together to do that so that you don't have the company fail. We've already talked about mm-hmm. this. You don't want the company to fail. Well, maybe you do. Gotta see how that works. (laughs) That's a whole phase by itself, y'all. And that one takes no time at all. The next phase is hiring. We'll talk about retirement in in a minute. But some of these uh, heads of departments may retire and they need to be filled. So then you take go through each open department. And each department tells you who hires for that department or who is eligible for that department. And that person will make a decision to hire. And this, Tony, is where negotiation comes in. Mm Let's say, oh, look, uh, the the manager of shipping is open. And I'm the one responsible for fulfilling it. And it looks like the available tokens for those people are Bert and Tony. Well, guys, which of y'all want it? Then maybe you start greasing my palms and offering me something so that I'll give you that position. Right. I may not want it, but why did I put my piece there or be able to select from that? Maybe it's something to be used later. Maybe I won't take a Mm -hmm. different position that may be open. So, right, the chairman has that. So, for me in this game, the balance between who is selecting what positions 
are important. The chairman is controlling money. That's, that's, that to me is his biggest job because he's only really going to assign the director of trade. Um, that's one of his positions, which is a very powerful position. But the chairman helps decide how much money and where it's going to be spent in the company. To be fair, the chairman hires more, more than that. Yeah, right. Also, the manager is shipping, the military affairs, and the, uh, the trade in China. Secretary of the trade in China. Secretary. All right. But I don't, I don't think the manager... Or superintendent. Ship- wrong word. Superintendent. So I don't think the manager of shipping who puts the ships out onto the play field and... Um, is that powerful, but the military affairs is assigning people to go fight in the army. You know, those were, those were important positions because they can move the ships around or decide who's going to be in certain positions to get money later. Cause that's mm. where that is based on where these people are in these positions are filled. We'll decide on the, on the, who gets what money. Hey, if I assign your cousin third removed as Nate kept telling us in the game, he's going to get some money. If you go fight that battle, well, this is the check and balance y'all. The director has the right to balance the money to go to help them fight in the field. So there's all these checks and balances in this game, which I think, Marty, was the most challenging part for, or will be the most challenging part for people to grasp, is how the checks and balances work between the various positions. But I think that was the part that was really the most interesting. Uh, Yeah, I completely agree with you. That was the part to where, let's say I was a... uh, I was a, a commander in the field and I would go to the president of that region and I would say, Hey, look, I, I want to go in, you know, and do an attack over here. I want to try to take over this area. President could say, well, I'm not going to give you any money mm-hmm. or president could say, okay, yeah, I agree. Because if we do that, then the next thing I'm going to do is now those trade routes are open and now I'm going to try to get some trade for myself. But so the president has the purse strings for that particular area and he gets to decide, oh, well, I support the military effort or not. Right. And so more negotiation. It's like, come on, dude, dude, I'll give you, I'll give you a coin out of my personal supply. If you just let me have like six bucks, six pounds to let me do what I need to do over here. Sort of deal. And it's up to the chairman to negotiate with the president. Well, how much money do you think you're going to do? <laughs> exactly. How are you going to, how are you going to allocate? Are you going to go military to open up the orders? Because I see my fifth cousin twice removed over there as a writer. So if the orders get filled, then I know my family's going to get money. So it's in my best interest if you do orders or shipping, basically, to, to, to complete these trade routes later, because that's important to me. I don't care about the military because, to be honest with you, that's the commander. And I don't have any, I don't have any officers in that army, nor do I, am, I, am I the commander. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, shipping's sitting there thinking, you know what? You got to have X amount of ships in order to fill those orders. We need to balance my people, my family, make sure that they fill some orders or I'm not going to give you the freaking ships. So don't come to me with this. Don't come to (laughs) me with your problems. (laughs) So so after you fill uh, all the positions, Tony's basically kind of explaining what happens at this point. Tony, I would say this is maybe part of the the longer part of the games once we understood how this worked. Mm -hmm. Because now the chairman determines... How much money do I have to dole out? Do I take any debt? For every one debt you take, you get five pounds. So there's talking there of like, how much debt should I take on? Do I think I can lower the debt? If your debt's too high, that's going to hurt my standing. And then if you ask for more than three debt, you actually have to put it a vote to the board to see if they'll even approve yeah, a debt the of three or more. Yep, all yeah, the all the shareholders. Yeah. And so for the every share that you have, you get a vote in that. 
But once that's determined, then what Tony just explained is exactly what's happening. Everybody around the table is going, give me money, give me money, give me money. And the chairman has to decide how best to split that out among the departments. And while he's doing that, and this is the game of how does the chairman make money for his family? So he's trying to balance all out. So that's, yes, there becomes the slowdown of the game. Everybody's sitting there. You can watch everybody's wheels spinning and calculating <laughs> how they're best going to use that money and to fill orders and, and things like that. For the sole purpose of uh, selfishness, right? Because, mm -hmm. oh, if my guy fills orders, you come at it like, yeah, look, look, if this region right here that I'm president of fills these orders, I'm going to get tons of money for the company. Meanwhile, you're also thinking, hey, guess what? Every time I fulfill an order, I get a pound in my personal supply as like a little bonus. And so you obviously want to trade as much as you can. You come out from the perspective, but I'm helping the company. Selfishly, you're thinking, but I also can net about three or four pounds this turn if I do that for my own personal wealth. Now, the next director of trade who's next on our chart. And once again, the game is laid out so that you're going through this little, my favorite part, a flow chart almost. Do this, do this, do this. Director well, this trade. is actually, you're actually moving a pawn around the board. So each of these are the phases. So the chairman takes all of his actions. Then the trade director takes their actions and we can just go right down the board. Right. Like I said, to me, the director of trades or trade director, his biggest part is assigning the presidents of the various regions. Not a whole lot, in my opinion, to discuss there. It's not as important from the chairman. No. But, but he's very powerful in assigning people because by assigning the presidents, they get money and at the for the family. Um, still nepotism is a play we talked about the shipping guy. He's got to get the ships out there. He's got to get ships fitted. He's got to do all that fun. Yeah. By the way, ships, co ships cost money, ships cost uh, money. To, to be able to be fitted, brought onto the board. There's uh, that's why the, the, the shipping person may want cash is to make sure that they can get ships fitted. You know, once you buy a ship, it's the shipping director that will fit the ship and actually put it out into the ocean uh, mm -hmm. to be used and decide where it's also going to go. And just, Spoiler alert, ships can sink. Yes. Yeah. And we'll talk about the checks because even though this sounds very Euro-y, there is a point in this game where there is a lot of risk and push your luck and randomness that will come back and bite you in the butt. We'll talk about that probably last. Meanwhile, the military affairs guy, he's out there assigning officers, commanders in training, trying to get that up, moving regiments around so that he can balance the army. So when you go out and try to either invade an area to, to open it up for shipping or defend an area, because you may have to do that. That's his task. That is his job and his role. Then we move to the three regions. They're all the same. They're just different regions. Let, let me see if I get them right here. There's the president. Yep. There's the commander of the region. He's over the army. And then, of course, you have the governor. The, the governor of that region. But this is the part of the game where you have to check one another. If I am not only the commander of the army, but the president as well, I'm very powerful. Yeah. So you, so you got to watch that when you're assigning positions. We didn't do a good job of that, in my opinion. Next time, I'm going to watch that closer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I said, everybody has a role. Uh, like the governor can basically possibly get new regiments out on the board, which is nice. Maybe start building a company ship. Uh, you talked about the military commander is the one that will actually go out there and maybe try to take over regions. This is where the combat comes into play. Uh, you want some military people out there with a certain amount of strength so that when they try to take over a region, 
you have more strength than the, you know, than the other side, then what you're going to do is you're going to roll some dice. Now, there's a lot of checks in this game, but let me just just really say succinctly how the checks work. You roll dice. One and twos are successes. Fives and sixes are failures. If all of your dice show all failures, that is a critical failure, and that's really, really, really bad. But when you roll your dice, all you need is one success, one one or one two, and you pass. Now, one question I would like to ask Cole at some point in time is, why one and two? Because most people, when they have dice checks, it's always like either fives and sixes pass, and then ones and twos fail. So I have to ask him why ones and twos were the passing. That's just an aside thing. But that's how checks work for everything in this game, from combat to seeing if your trades uh, routes are successful, etc. That's it. So once you do all that, there's there's a China uh, trade that you can set up to see if you can successfully trade with China. But then you kind of start wrapping up. And at that point, after everybody's taken uh, their roles in their region, you're going to do bonuses. So for everybody who's- Hold on, uh, hold on, hold on. Before you go into that, one thing I want to point out about the regions with the trade, because I know we keep saying it, but this is where the money's made. Good point. Thank you. We we did gloss over that. All your money is going to be made from either conquering lands for the first time, which generates a lot of loot, or trades. Right. And if you do the trades, that's how the company makes money. But if you fulfill orders based on the number of orders, the president gets a little money. And then, of course, the writers get money. When the army goes out and conquers and does the loot, then the, the commanders and the officers get money. But you also got to pay for the armies, the the people, the regulars that you hire. You got to pay them back for their battle efforts. I think, Marty, that was the one thing I kept missing. The battling goes straight to the coffers of the family. And that probably was one of the things that we kept tripping over in this game. So I think that's important for people to understand is if you get the opportunity to play this is to get that down, understand where the money is flowing during these three regions. Because that's what will help you decide what you want to do. Because if somebody is rolling very poorly, it can really screw you up in the next phases. All right. So, yeah, you're right. So you need to make sure that you understand how money goes into the company. Like you said, the biggest is through the through the trades. So then we get to the uh, the bonuses. That's where you're going to collect money for if you've made workshops, you've made ships. That goes money goes into your coffers. And then next is revenue. And this is where, like you just mentioned, you got to start paying people. Uh, you have to pay pay those, all the, the military that are out there. Uh, you got to pay for all those ships that are out there. And then the chairman, which you and I had the role of, has to decide whether to pay dividends. And this affects a few things. There's a little formula that says if you pay an certain, if enough dividends are paid out, that makes the company look really good and increases their company standing, which is a good thing. You and I had these decisions to make. Do I try to make the company look good or do I leave money in the coffers for the next round? Mm -hmm. And I've felt like near the end game, it was an easy decision for me. Nobody was getting dividends because we were coming towards the end and we needed the coffers. Because once again, you got to watch with the company failing because if the company's not looking good, it's going to fail quicker. Also, when we're paying out all these people that need money, they're always in our company pockets. You may have to take out some loans. All that comes in. So you got a little math to do right in here. But once you get it down, you'll be fine. So no big deal. Easy, Fairly easy, straightforward math going on right here. But there's arguments. I think we should pay dividends. No, I don't. Think I know. Yeah, people are like, no, I need money. Pay me people at this point. No, pay me dividends. I need my money. I need my money. And then you, as the chairman's got to go, I don't know, y'all. 
we were hurting this round. We need to make sure that we can pay expenses mm-hmm. next round. So, because the shares, the shareholders get the money. So, if you've got ro- family members as shareholders, which remember back in the beginning when we started this discussion, you were talking about some of the actions you can do in the family time. Buying a share is one of those. And so yep. that gives you the ability to pull in the dividends. And now to the randomness of the game events in India, it's just a stack of cards. And you flip over a card and typically bad things happen at that point. Maybe turmoil happens where some of your trading ports are are shut down. Or maybe a crisis happens where the locals rebel and then there could be some combat. And and if the locals win, they take over region and close it up again. So this is typically, typically where bad things happen in the game. And you roll a die and the die tells you how many event cards you have to resolve and are any ships in any of the seas having to deal with some really bad storms and they have to roll to see if they sink or maybe are, um, what was fatigued. the other word? Was it fatigued for the, uh, for I think the ships also? We were using fatigued. I just remember we flipped it over to indicate that it took a beating out in the sea. And if it takes another beating next time around, it's going to sink, but, but you don't lose it. It goes to the shipyard. Right? Exactly. So, this is where randomness set in, and boy, did a couple of events come up that were very ir- ill, no, illy, uh, badly timed, <laughs> I couldn't mm. find the right word, uh, for us, uh, where it just kind of undid things that we just did on the map. And I think after this, once we were all beat down with events, even though that was bad, it wasn't as bad as the person we hated the most. Oh my gosh. The prime minister? You talking about that guy? Yeah, that guy. That one, the one who decides the laws, the taxes, the government's in my pockets. I'm a company here. Get out of my pocket. So parliament meets. Prime minister says, I'm going to look at a list of laws here. And there's a deck of cards and he pulls up a law, decides if he wants to put it before a vote. And he can look up to three. But if he ever looks at one that says, okay, you have to do this one, then he has to stop and do that one. And the laws, Tony, could be anything, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be dealing with, uh, we had one that there's a war in France. Should we send all of our ships and regiments out to help the war effort, or do we want to keep them here? And so then everybody has votes based on the number of workshops they have or shipyards they have, and people will cast votes in opposition or approval, and if it passes, it becomes a law. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't go away. It's right. not like one turn and done. No, 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 no. And then there are consequences from that. There could be taxes or mm-hmm. then an adjustment of who has got power in the country now. That provides in-game victory points based on power and who has the most power. We've kind of glossed over that, but that's another thing that will help you near the end of the game determine who's the winner. But that can be adjusted as well. But one of the most irritating thing was the taxes based on various situations that may occur. Yes. Like, do you have people in retirement, which is coming up or, Oh wait, man, how many ships do you have? That may impact you or something. And here's the thing. The prime minister decides which way that's going to go. He usually has a choice of two different types of taxes. Should I tax ships? Should I tax luxury items? And here's guess what y'all where more negotiation comes in. So Tony, if you had a lot of shipyards, you go, well, I really wish it would go towards the other way because I really don't want that to happen. And maybe you start greasing the prime minister's palms with money or promises, et cetera, or somebody else may be trying to do the opposite. 
Not that greasing political palms ever happens in the real world. No, <laughs> not going to say that at all. And that position is one that we kind of missed. We screwed up on that because the person who had that position, uh, which was Bert, uh, basically every time, every time a law was passed, he kind of, he just earned power and whoever has the most power at the end of the game get, earns some extra victory points. Mm-hmm. And he was just racking that stuff up. And he was controlling it. Now, how does the uh, the prime minister change? What has to happen is the opposition has to win on a vote, and there'll be an opposition leader that will take over as prime minister. So the prime minister has to balance that, figure out what you do. And we talked about the company favors or the, the family favors. There's a card in there that allows someone else to cast your votes for you or, or say, no, you're going to vote this way. That's one of the things that can happen. So I really like that. I, I did not mind the event die. I did not minus the storms. And I surely didn't minus the prime minister thing. I thought this added a lot, but my favorite thing is coming next. Refresh and clean up? No, I thought it was retirement. Well, there's a refresh phase. There's a refresh phase where you clean up the board for the next round. And the first round, you skip this part. But oh, yeah. it's, the, it's the first phase of every round after the first, which is retirement. So tell us about that, Tony. Whew. It was a hard life as the chairman and everybody <laughs> else. These people age out. You're going to roll a die. And if you get a five or six, they go to the pension. I called it the old folks home just the way I am. But they go take their pensions and they go over to the retirement area. And so that opens up the various positions. If you get a three or a four, they've committed for another year possibly, but they're fatigued. So that will adjust their die next round. A one or a two. No, they're in their prime. They're good to go. Once we decide who's all retired, we go around the the various positions to determine who's retired, and everybody's up except for the prime minister and the commanders and the governors. Governors, yeah. So mostly it's the head, the president, the shipping, the military, the trade, and then the chairman. Once they're retired, it's time to send them to the old folks' home. Do you have enough money to put them in a retirement a nice palace. And if so, you're going to get victory points, but you also have to upkeep that. So that you got to pay for it again. And when the next time around the board happens, and it's important that you may want to do that because there are these special cards that are out because whoever pays the most gets this first pick of these special cards that can give you victory points, but they may set certain conditions, but there's also these cards called scheme cards. I believe Marty? blackmail blackmail. And they can adjust the end of the game or adjust something that happens during the game. So for me, this was the part where the die roll added the excitement, the tension. This is the tension that I need in a game. But you just mentioned the two things that basically swung our game. Last round, I was somewhat firmly in the lead. And this was actually after regaining the lead when Bert, the prime minister, decided to tax luxury items, and if you had people in retirement homes, that was considered a luxury item, and if you couldn't pay for it, they came out of the retirement home, and that's what he chose, and I lost all all my people can no longer live in the nice retirement homes generating victory points. They all had to leave, and I dropped on my victory points, so I worked to get them back up, and in the last round, Bert, uh, Nate had been holding on to a blackmail card that says, you know what, y'all? I'm going to skim some off the top of those little company funds right into my little pocket. Mm. And he rolls some dice 
and you take the highest value of the dice. And I can't remember it was double it or something. And he takes that straight from the company coffers right into his pocket. He rolled a six, which basically took away a lot of the money where dividends could no longer be paid. And we couldn't afford to get dividends out. What happened was, is that he got a bunch of money in. In the final round, we go through one more retirement phase. And he was managed, he managed to retire, I think, Tony, a couple people. He rolled a five and a six. With the money he just made, he put them in the nicest retirement home, generating the most victory points. He leaped over me and won the game. Yes. And so here's the thing. After six and a half hours, mm-hmm. it literally came down to the last 15 minutes of the game of him playing a card and a couple lucky dice rolls. Absolutely. That's yep. the way it goes. And I mean, it, and that is very frustrating. That would leave a bad taste in your mouth. It may leave a bad taste in your mouth. That's why I said at the beginning, uh, at some point in time, we're going to be talking about the randomness of this game. There is randomness. Those dice rolls, even though that you may pay money to make sure that you roll four dice and then go, oh, look, here's the table I'm looking at. I have an 80% chance of passing. You spend all your money to make sure it passes and you still fail. That's the luck of the dice. Oh, look at that crisis card that came up that absolutely just ruined me sort of deal. Mm-hmm. It's like, why can't none of my people will retire because I can't roll high enough to get them into the retirement home. It's a push your luck game. There is randomness into it. So be ready for that. Mm-hmm. It is not a 100% straight deterministic Euro. That's right. You think you're going to win because I thought I was in great shape. Ended up third, but I think I could have done something to maybe leapfrog me to second and I forgot to do that. Mm. And I forget it was something about if I could have retired people. Oh, my, I had spouses who allowed me to de- decrease the amount to move into the retirement home. And if I had done that, I could have gained, I think four more victory points, but that was, it wasn't enough to catch Nate who was able to go into the mega palace near the end. Yep. And no one was, you got to really plan ahead because, because if you can get into that mega palace at the end and then be able to manage the upkeep, it is going to be very hard for people to leap past you at that point. But you got to be able to pay for it. <laughs> you mentioned the spouses. This was funny. So that was one of the cards that you could pick up. Aside from the blackmail cards, you could get spouses. And what was yours, Tony? You can no longer vote? I couldn't. I, my, my ship, yeah, my, my spouse did not allow me to vote. Yep. And my spouse said, Oh, you're not going to buy any more boats, honey. You spend enough on boats. And any boats you have right now, you have to sell. <laughs> sell as an S-E-L-L. Uh, so I uh, basically had this uh, spouse. And you, by the way, you got to take one of these cards. You, you have no option. So I took the one I thought was best for me. Well, no, so no, I had no. To, you could discard it. We found, remember. Oh, I could discard it. You're right. You're right. Uh, so I had to basically get rid of, of the ship that I had. But I, we just thought it was funny. You know, what's, what's the best day to... What's the two best days for ship owners? The day you buy the boat, the day you sell the boat. I sold the boat for my wife. So, but you say, well, Marty, why would you do that? Because she had victory points on her card. Mm-hmm. She generated two or three victory points. And when there's very little victory points scored in each game, you grab them when you can. So I took it thinking, I really don't need any ships. I'm doing fine without ships. So I'll just continue from there. Right. And my second spouse said you could only retire at the higher level. You had to go into. Oh, so you had to go to the twelve which meant, but I had the cards that said you could reduce the cost of the retirement. Yep. See, to me is I needed money at the end because my plan was I knew I was going to retire because I was the chairman. He was guaranteed to retire because of all the fatigue. So I was going to retire him, but I needed money. But due to the commander and the, of the army in Bengal, 
failed to do his job and get the trade routes open so that we could get some trade going, I lost out on money, which completely wrecked me in the last because I did not have the money. Nate siphoned off the quarter, so I, I was the chairman. Dividends were going to be paid, baby. I couldn't do it. It was Oh, yeah, it was frustrating, but, but I didn't mind. Y'all, 45 minutes. This is the one of the longer reviews we've ever done because it's one of the longest games that we've ever played. But we wanted to spend a decent amount of time telling you about it because... It's a unique experience, Tony. I've never played anything like this. Mm-hmm. I really haven't. It is, uh, I don't know. Nate said to him, the closest thing he's played like this is like Thief, where there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of negotiations, but with the flip of a card, things can go south or go really well, really quickly. And I felt that way here. So it's one of those things that uh, when somebody told me you, you, when you played Thief, they said, just be ready. Just know that. You may think everything is going your way, and in the last five minutes of the game, it may flip. Same thing we experienced with uh, John Company. If you had told me six and a half hours, and yet I'd still be talking about it like I was, I'd said you're crazy in the head because any game that makes me sit there for six and a half hours, I'm usually going to come away very negative. I wasn't negative on this game. As you can tell, I'm positive because of all the stuff that I enjoyed from it. Mm-hmm. It will be hard to get me to sit at the table for four hours to play this again, mm, but okay. I would do it. And that's, I know that's something I always say on this show is I would do it, but if I'm going to sit down, I'm going to be looking at all the other games thinking, okay, well, how am I going to spend my next four hours? This is a great game if we don't have a lot of people and we do have another big game day. It's, it's like um, when we played a quartermaster, the, the general game, the, the war game. Yep. Exactly. That's the same feeling. I, I need a full day where I know I'm not going to be looking at my watch. Okay, it's time to go. It's time to go. Time to go. Kind of like people are doing now. Boys, wrap this up. We're done with this. So here's the thing, y'all. I can say we somewhat scratched the surface because there's a couple things that aren't done in the first scenario. There's other two scenarios that add a couple other mechanics. But what we've done is just given you a overview of how the game plays. There's more to it than what we've said, but I think we've given a good feel of how it works thematically how it works and you know i've seen a few reviewers say this is one of their top games of the year now it's one of those things that if you only have time to play 30 minute or one hour games it's not going to be your game of the year it's not but is an experience that i enjoyed when will i be able to play it again again it takes a special day now for us tony to be able to get something like this to the table i for sure would do it i do think we could get Four hours or less. Mm-hmm. Now that we know how this game, especially we play, play with the same people, we ain't got to teach the rules. Right. And again, y'all, the rules are pretty straightforward. The knocks on the game, I don't know if you, I consider them knocks. There's a lot of randomness. So you guys consider whether that's a knock or not. It can, it can change after many hours of playing unexpectedly. I will say, I wish in the rule book, I don't know if somebody could release something on BGG. I wish there was a better display of the different sections of the board because when I was doing the setup, I was really having a tr- trouble finding where it says, take these tokens and place them on these spaces on the board. And typically in a lot of manuals now, they have arrows that point to spaces or, hey, letter A is this on the board and there's a letter A on the board. I wish there was something like that because setup took me longer than I felt that it should had just because I was trying to figure out, wait a minute, what's this piece called? What does it do? Where does it go on the board? And literally, lots sometimes I was just looking around the board for uh, the same symbol to find where it went. 
So maybe that's something that could be done on BGG where they have like a little layout, better layout of the, of the board and point to where things go. A helpful file, you know, help player aid. Yes. Be nice. Be very nice. And the, the big knock for me, and this is with any of these types of negotiating games is when you're playing with people, make sure you're negotiating, get it done. Just don't sit there and go, well, if you want to do me, let's, Mm. let's, let's negotiate or let's just, let's make a decision, put a timer on it. That's something I think, okay, we've got 30 seconds to decide who's going to be in this department or we've got two minutes. And if we don't get through this, I know people are going to say, well, that takes away from the fun of the game. Depends on what you define fun. Do you want to sit there and talk for 30 minutes about who should have one position or would you like to play the game? That's just, that's just my, my opinion. And it's a correct opinion. And I think it's also too, it's a knock if you don't like negotiation games. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to negotiate and play that portion of the game, this game is going to be unfulfilling for you because yeah. that is a part of the game. There is haggling. There is, there is pushing you know, your, your wants and stuff to, you know, sometimes deviously to make sure you try to generate those points. I remember Bert said, how does a semi-co-op work? I think this is a good example of a semi-co-op. All working together for the betterment of the company to make sure it succeeds. But selfishly, we're also trying to fill our pockets to make sure that we can enjoy that retirement life in the end. So that is John Company, designer Cole Worley, and published by Worley Gig Games. This is the second edition. He streamlined some of the stuff. I never got to play the first one, so I haven't seen what the differences are. It's an experience, and if you got time and this sounds interesting to you, I think this is an experience you need to see for yourself. Well, I hope you got everything you wanted for uh, Christmas. Oh, I did. I actually, I got something that scared the snot out of me. I forgot to do this or talk about it in the intro. My mother-in-law got me, this was sitting in a box. It was a squirrel. I, where, do you know where he got that? Because I think Vanessa showed that to me and I, she said you should buy this. And Was it Hobby Lobby? I don't know. All I know is it was made in, made in China and basically it's a c- coconut with all of the fuzzy stuff teased. So this was in a box for me. Oh, that's an actual coconut? Yeah, it's a coconut and all the, the fuzz is oh, teased up. Oh, and it's shaped like a squirrel. How'd they get the white belly in there? That's the that's a coconut. Have you not ever seen a coconut? Well, are we still doing the miniature market ad right here? We are now. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> so if you didn't get everything that you wanted for Christmas, especially board game wise, or maybe a accessory that's shaped like <laughs> shaped like a squirrel, head over to miniaturemarket.com. They're doing sales all the time, y'all. Like for for example, today there's a sale up seventy percent off of select games and expansions. Tony, they just keep like every week some new sale on something. You want to join their mailing list? They did a, a great job sponsoring our contest. Thank you so much to them for running the contest for us and everything. Tony, I love going to the front page where they have all their new arrivals. You can see what comes in that week. Maybe there's something that you're excited about. So. Make sure to keep up with everything by joining their uh, mailing list and subscribing to them on their Twitter and Instagram accounts, or just head over to miniaturemarket.com daily to see what you need to fill in the gaps for stuff that you missed getting for Christmas. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. We got to play The Great Split from Homer Hawk and Lorenzo Silva from Horrible Guild and Yellow Publishers. And Marty and I, it's no 
secret. We love I split, you choose games. We love them. Actually, I've been a recent, I've become a recent fan of that thanks to Bequest. Really? It was one of those that never like, eh, it's, it's awesome. I want to play these games. When you taught me Bequest, I thought, okay, I really dig this. So when we got this game, I thought, okay, I'm really interested in playing this now because I'd like that mechanic of I've got a set of cards. I break them into two groups. I hand them off to the player to my left. They pick one group, give the other one back to me. The person to my right gave me two group of cards. I pick one of those groups and the other back to them. And then I resolve the cards I had. Tony, that just creates these really tense situations of how do I make sure that I try to make the other deck, mm-hmm. the other group look enticing to him so he'll give me back the one I really want? So in normal split, you choose. Once you've done that, that's where the game ends. Now for this game, the great split, you are manipulating a board that has various tokens on it. There's gems, there's statues, there's books, and then there are multipliers that are on this board. And the easiest way for me to explain this, I think, for a lot of people is if you're familiar with roll and write games, when you have things that are comboed, that's what this game's going to do. After you do and receive your cards from the split, you then score them on your board. And actions can take, for instance, gold. If you score gold, you move up the little cube and you might come across two arrows. This allows you to now move any token on the board, any cube on the board, two spaces except for gold. Great. There are various scoring rounds that come into play. And I know this is going to be mind-blowing for a game. Whoever has the most prestige victory points is the winner. The great split. I split, you choose. If you enjoy these games and you enjoy rolling right from Tony's point of view, and I'll stop after this, this is a must buy. You got to play this game. Okay. This is so interesting, Tony. I was going to bring this up to you during this review to see if this fit. To me, I don't play a lot of rolling rights, but this, this, you have a real, by the way, this is a nice two layer board where you have these cubes that you put in nice little inset. It's, it's a super nice board. And I felt like as I was moving these cubes, I thought, this does kind of feel like a rolling right where you're trying to manipulate the cubes where you can make these sweet little combos. Like you said, oh, good. If I move the gold here, that allows me to move this two spots over here. And if I move it there, that allows me to move the tomes up one. Awesome. That unlocks a tome that in the future, this multiplier down here will kick in and give me more points. I thought this really does feel like a rolling right. So I was going to ask you directly. Did it feel like a roller right to you, but with a split, with a split you choose type mechanism? Yes. And that's what it did because you are always trying to manipulate how you're going to score at the end of the game. One of the nice added features of this game is the scoring in the middle of the game. For instance, as the game progresses, you will be turning over tokens that tell you how far up this scoring track is going to move. And based on the number of say tomes you have, if it falls in a certain range, I'm tr- I was sitting there while we were playing. You it. are so off with that. No, I'm not. <laughs> each each round, you flip over a token that moves the art, art value at the bottom of the main board. And one of the things you want to have is you want to collect art during the game. So one of your tracks is art. So there is uh, one of the mid-round scoring rounds is it'll evaluate the value of your art. The number of cu- uh, spaces you've moved your cube over on the art track, you look down to the scoring track to see... However many I've moved it, I get that many points. But the the value of the art varies over the course of the game because you put out these random tokens that will add or move that uh, value track over. The scoring th- 
things are also random. There's four different types of scoring. One that does nothing, and then like a, a tome and art and uh, gems. And after rounds three and four, they kick in. So they've got that mid-round scoring that's variable, the value of the art, which is variable, and then the in-game scoring where the multipliers from those contracts that are at the bottom of your player board will actually kick in. That's right. I've, I forgot the art, tomes. Yes, you're right. I crossed them up in my head. Maybe that's why I scored so poorly the second one. I did great the first one. Maybe that's why I scored so great the first time I played it because I wasn't scoring it right. I don't know. Simple to learn, easy to play, easy to teach. Overall, enjoyed it. Look forward to playing it. We played it multiple times. So that should tell you something about it. Also, you get special powers from your art dealers or whatever they're called in this game where you're given a character and it says, okay, this is where you can start your board on. It may help you develop a strategy. Mm, that's right. It does kick you off. It's like you get to move your cube so many spaces before the game starts. As a newer fan to the I split you choose type mechanism, I think this actually made me a favorite. I loved Bequest, but I think this one is once you understand it, it's very simple to follow. The scoring is very simple. But if you're used to rolling rights, imagine a rolling right scoring mechanism and manipulation of a board mechanism. I mean, with the rolling right, you'd be drawing things on a board to unlock stuff. Here, you're just getting to move a cube. And the cards that you pick basically tell you, all right, move your uh, art one space, move your art cube one space, move your gem cube one space, uh, move up three points on the, on the prestige track. So the cards that you're picking... That's what the cards are telling you to do is where to how many spaces to move your cubes and on what tracks you're move, moving those cubes each round. And if you don't like your cards, you can always discard it and move up your gold. So you always have that. Or option. a prestige. Or a prestige. That's right. Yeah, you do have an option. It's like, let's say you've maxed out a track and you got back a card you can't even use anymore. Just freely discard it. And also at the end, all the cards you played go back into your hand and everybody's dealt one additional card and then there's a hand size that will change from round to round. So you have to discard down to that hand size and then play from there. I really, really like it. I was the one that said when we're done, set it up and play again. And we also knocked that game out in 30 minutes. So it was pretty quick too, Tony. So that is The Great Split from Horrible Guild. Five minute initiative is complete. Last year, I heard about this game that was coming out. I was very excited about called D&D Onslaught, which is like a skirmish style game uh, with miniatures. I got a copy of this game. I've played this game. However, I haven't been able to play with Tony. I've played with other people. So I was going to record a quick solo thing of what I thought about this game. And I thought, wait a minute, man, I, I hate to talk about it by myself. Who else can I bring on? And then I went, oh my gosh, I forgot. I've established a racial relationship and have a good f friendship with one of the designers of the game, Nick Yu, who is also with me on our other YouTube channel called Mediavania. So I've asked Nick to come on and talk about the game like intelligently. So Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Marty. I'm glad you remembered I exist. Yes. <laughs> it's like, hmm, who could I talk to about the game? It'd be great if I knew somebody. All right. So. Nick, before we get into this, so for those who don't know anything about Onslaught, which is from uh, being published by WizKids Games, and by the time mm -hmm. this episode drops, it will actually be available. It came out January 18th. Just what's a quick sales pitch of what is Dungeons & Dragons Onslaught? 
So I, I think you, you landed on it pretty well. It's a skirmish game set in the Forgotten Realms using the Dungeons and Dragons lore and system. So, but it's meant to be familiar but not identical. So it's not uh, just playing D and D and just the combat. And it's a party based skirmish game. So it's five versus five, and it's player versus player versus enemy. Because D and D has such awesome iconic monsters, we wanted to get those in the mix too. So before we kind of, we kind of get into the game itself, I believe I've, I had read an interview with you and somebody else that. Uh, whiz kids were asking people to pitch ideas mm-hmm. for the game and you and your co-designer Travis, Travis Evans, yeah. pitched this idea and they took it. So I'm just curious right up right off the bat, what were the restrictions or guidelines? They said, look, whatever you bring us, it must include X, Y, Z. Well, they didn't actually specify, which was challenging. Mm. They just said it, it, this is a going to be a miniatures game based on the Dungeons and Dragons property. What does that mean to you? So it was a very open ended design question. So they didn't have things like like you got to use the D twenty. I mean, it was suggested. Like okay. I mean, it's D and D, right? It should use the D twenty. Right, right, okay. Which we're actually going to get into in a second because for some background for those who've listened to our show before, I've played a lot of miniature games like Warhammer and stuff like this, and so I was very interested to play this. More looking at it as like a competitive miniature style game, which mm-hmm. uh, Nick, I believe, is uh, WizKids plans to have like some organized play events and some actual competitive events uh, once this game gets up and going. Yeah, shortly after launch, there's going to be a couple of uh, competitive organized play kits. Yeah, they're definitely planning to to do it, and hopefully, you know, the game picks up enough speed, and then we can see it like a burgeoning organized play scene. Now, one thing about this game that's not like uh, Warhammer is the fact that these are pre-assembled miniatures and they're already pre-painted. Mm-hmm. So I know immediately people get scared. It's like, I don't want to glue anything. I don't want to yep. snip anything. I don't know what a sprue is. So, <laughs> right. so you'll be happy to know right out of the box that these are uh, really nice looking uh, minis. They are made of pliable plastic or soft plastic. And I bring that up because they're not brittle. But like some of the ones that I got, like maybe some staves or something were like a little bit bent. That's where you use the little trick. It was called the hot water trick where yep. you dip it in hot trick. water, straighten it. And when you come out, it'll be, uh, once it cools, it's straightened out and everything like that. But um, I, for those who may not realize, uh, WizKids also makes hero clicks. And in my opinion, these are much better miniatures than the hero click style. So yeah. don't imagine hero click style miniatures. To me, they're better than that. Yeah. I mean, the technology has advanced. Like the manufacturing process has advanced. Like. I mean, I picked up Heroclix right at launch, and I love the game, but right, some of those faces are like melted on, on the original <laughs> yeah. Heroclix figures. Like, no offense to those original figures. Some of the sculpts are really cool, but the paint jobs were, you know, really inconsistent. Yeah, and they're much better here. All right, yep. so that's kind of an overview of the game. The base game's out, which comes out with uh, 12 figures, uh, mm-hmm. 12 player figures, uh, to, uh, one for each, six for each side, uh, plus some monsters or NPC units that that will be on the board game board yep. bunch of cards bunch of tokens but one thing i think will stick out if you see this is actually the character card which consists of several dolls so instead of me trying to explain it tell us a little bit about the character card yeah so the character that character card uh you know when people saw that they weren't that impressed they're like oh character cards whatever but then you see the actual dial cards you don't realize that that represents a character sheet like from front top to bottom it has everything on there you have your big dial that has your hit points, your speed, your armor class, right? And like hero clicks, that moves, and some of those values change as you take damage. Like maybe your AC goes up or down, your speed could go up or down. And 
uh, the other dials are for ability cooldowns. So kind of like a video game, when you use an ability, you set the dial to that number, and at the end of the round, it just ticks down uh, until it's ready for use again. Yeah, and I, I will say you mentioned video games. So Nick, I, since we've known each other the past year yeah. and a half or two years, we've talked more video games than we have board games easily. Uh, with the whole cooldown thing, I see your love and of video games kind of being introduced here because I love mm-hmm. cooldown effects. One of the first games I ever played that had a cooldown effect was City of Heroes, the CCG. Oh, yeah, yep. And they had the cards that you rotated after you used an ability, and every turn they rotated back up. This is all, almost the exact same thing. You use an ability, and at the end of your turn, it clicks towards being able to be reset and used again. Originally, this was kind of, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but this is really supposed to be like a D&D hero clicks. This is part of, it was originally going to be part of the hero clicks imprint. But then they decided, you know what, we're going to do our own thing with this because this is Dungeons and Dragons, like this is a really big property. And then they talked about these cards that we could do. And we we're like, well, how many dials can we have on it? You know, there should be one big dial and a bunch of separate ones. So we have one for the experience gain, because it's Dungeons and Dragons, right? Get experience, get level up. But then they told us we could have three separate dials to track abilities. And I'm like, okay, cool. Those are those are our ability cooldowns right there. Yeah. Now, I, I will say thank you so much to WizKids for not making us gamers have to assemble those cards. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of times, y'all, when you buy games, they have dials. You've got to p- take the two little plastic pieces and mm-hmm. punch them through the center. All that is pre-made, sorry, pre-done for you. It comes right out of the box and uh, ready to go. So one of the things I loved right off the bat was the whole cooldown effect. And I also like the fact that uh, I like the hero clicks thing too, as the, as you take more damage, uh, your stats change over time. I believe some of them, like you actually want to take damage because that makes some characters better after they've been beat up a little bit. Yeah. So like it, uh, to that example, the barbarian actually recharges her rage when she gets bloodied or half hit points. And those um, dragon sorcerer, uh, she accelerates her cooldowns faster as she takes damage. So yeah, sometimes it's not it's okay to take a hit. And these are scenario-based games. So uh, mm-hmm. in this base set, there's a bunch of different scenarios. It's a two-sided board. Uh, it'll tell you how to set up a room uh, with uh, like different treasure chests and what monsters are going to come into play. And you set up your characters. It tells you where to put your characters on the board. And then you begin. So what does a player turn look like? So um, the first thing is, I guess we should talk about the initiative system a little bit. Mm. Uh, which, uh, which, by the way, I love. Which, who are, whichever y'all came up with this, I think I'm, this I'm, is... It's a podcast, but I'm, I'm, I'm putting my thumb on it. <laughs> this is brilliant, y'all. I think this is one of the coolest... It's not you go, I go. It's not move all of our miniatures at once. It's much better. So tell us about it. It is five versus five. So there's 10 initiative cards numbered one through 10. And the one passes back and forth every round. So the player who's going to go first in a round changes, alternates. And you know that. And that one's assigned openly. So everyone knows which character's going to go first. The rest are all shuffled into two piles, like two through six, seven through ten, just so, uh, to avoid the clumps. Uh, and, and you still might get some, but hopefully that, you know, that makes it a little more even. And then you assign those face down, and then you flip them up as they come up. So there's, you know what you have, and you can only guess how your opponent has assigned their initiative. So there, there's some there's some pretty cool back and forth, some head games you can play with that system. And having played, it works great, y'all, because I, like you said, uh, you, you sit there and you know, well, I know he has these numbers, talking about my opponent. And I'm looking mm. over there and it's like, oh boy, I really want this guy to go before that guy. Right. And I, he has two numbers before I even have a chance to activate. Will he assign one to him? So that part of the planning phase, I think, is really, really interesting before the uh, round even starts. Yep. And then, you know, as we talked about, you, you take your turns. 
And then uh, we also mentioned there are monsters in the game, and the monsters have 0.5 initiative, so they go in between the players. So monsters could be anywhere from 1.5 to 10.5, which is the end of the round. So, uh, And that was one, one big thing that Travis knew he wanted right away um, when we got the license, is that this had to be a PvP versus EE experience. Because, again, D&D has such iconic monsters. Like It would be such a waste not to use them in the game. And that kind of throws in... Um, a different element too. It's not just a straight up skirmish game, uh, and it allows us to do more interesting things with the scenarios and objectives by having that kind of like third party. And when you take your turn, basically when it's your initiative turn, like if it's initiative three, whoever has initiative three, mm-hmm. flip it over, and then you start taking your turn. And you have uh, you can take a standard action, a move action, and a bonus action. Now, lots of times uh, the standard action is kind of like when you're going to do your attack and everything like that. Your move is pretty straightforward. You got a speed. You can move. By the way, these are uh, square. Ba- these are grid based. No yep. rulers or anything like that. It's just you count the number of grids you can move orthogonally um, as you go. And then you may have actions that are labeled with a B, a bonus action. Like this too. The player cards have what it is. Is it an S type of an action, a standard, mm-hmm. or a uh, a bonus? And you got all those laid out. What I thought was interesting, though, and I read it and then I didn't appreciate it till I played it, is you can trade in actions for other actions. I can trade in a standard action for an additional move or a bonus. I can trade in a move for a bonus. So if I needed to move twice, I could forego my standard action and move twice to maybe possibly get in position for the next round. Yeah, so and if you've playing, been playing D&D since 3rd edition, that's kind of the D&D action economy that, that we were going for. Especially 4th edition, that kind of got some knocks by the RPG community, but it was really great for a tactical game. So we looked at 4th as one of the primary sources of inspiration for Onslaught. That is really cool. So, and again, everybody's character will have different types of bonus. Uh, like the bonus might be used, like maybe one of your... One of your skills, your cooldown skills that you activate during that turn that might help you with an attack or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I can make a move, activate a cooldown bonus skill, then actually do an attack. And uh, for the attack, there's several things you got to look at. There's a ranged, right? Which is basically Mm going to be counting squares away from somebody. And uh, then you're going to roll 2d20. Now, I was worried when I heard this was a (laughs) d20-based system. I said, come on, how swingy can you get? But rolling 2d20, in my experience, wasn't that brutal. Sure, you missed some. Sure, you mm-hmm. hit some. But it seemed to be fair. Oh, and what happens? You roll 2d20 and you take the take highest the right. uh, of the two. Unless, <laughs> I like this, unless you roll a critical a failure on a die. It's a critical failure unless you rolled a critical hit also right. on the other. So critical hits and critical failures still come into play. So then you take your, your stat bonus or whatever, add it to what you rolled, and then apply a damage. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that, that actually sold the pitch uh, when we were pitching this to WizKids and, and Wizards of the Coast, is we said, and they talked to you, they're like, okay, you know, first skirmish game, how are you going to appeal to miniatures gamers who might think the D20 is, too, as you said, too swinging, right? Really high variance. So we talked about this, that this is the advantage system from D&D by default. It's, it smooths out the math. You know, it's like 13.4 for the math nerds out there. And also the curve is better distributed. So we, we, we looked at that and we looked at the armor class values and we said, we can have a, a smoother experience this way and it won't feel so swingy where you're just, you know, hitting, missing, hitting, missing, like because you just rolled that one die. Now, even though you're playing on a flat board, there are things to consider of the terrain of the board. Uh, there are levels. And another thing that always concerns me as a miniatures player is line of sight rules. 
And I actually, as I was learning my first game, I actually hit you up. I said, am I understanding the line of sight rules correctly and, and how that they work? Because you do have elevation. If you're attacking from above, you might be able to see over things to target somebody right. else. So if you're targeting below, it's going to be harder to see somebody. In fact, if they're too many levels height away from you, you can't even target them at you all. You can't see them, right? Yeah. And then you also have places where you get full cover where you can't be seen but also where maybe like a half barrier where they can hit you, but uh, you're going to get a bonus to your, or they're going to take a knock on well, there. Well, so co- cover is you just roll a d20 and take it flat. Basically what I'm saying is positioning on a map, just like in min- regular miniature games, is crucial. Maybe mm-hmm. if you got a healer or spellcaster or a glass cannon, you might want to make sure they stay behind cover. Now they can kind of peek around and still hit if they want to, but at least they'll have some protection when they're targeted themselves. Exactly. Like you said, you put five of each team uh, on the board and you pick one of the scenarios. Now, we didn't talk about how the monsters work. You talk when they activate, but the scenario that sells uh, has rules for uh, the monsters. And then they've got their own cards that tell you how to use those. Yep. So some of them have reference cards and the, the really cool boss monsters like the troll that and the black dragon, they have their own dial cards like heroes and they have the abilities and they tell you what to do. The scenario book will walk you through it and then the the cards will tell you what, the, what those abilities do. So it gave us a lot of freedom. Yeah. And let me say the black dragon mini is stinking cool. Y'all it's huge. It looks fantastic on the map. And it's one of those things that when you've got these other monsters, depending on the scenario, like I played some scenarios where, hey, if I killed one of those uh, one of those guys over there, I, I earned a couple extra points. Like I can get a point for killing you, which is which is good because it's like it gets you off the board. But I get two points for killing mm-hmm. that, and you have to decide which way you're going to go. And then you got to realize, oh, they might get target me and come and come after me too. So I love the versus environment element of the game. It really keeps things very interesting. Thanks. Yeah. We, we really wanted to have that interplay too, because this is meant to be kind of an accessible game for people who are either new to minis games or are coming from D and D. So we, we want them to be able to, you know, hop in with, with a low kind of barrier to entry. So a lot of the spells and skills that you have are those D and D the names and everything. Yeah. People so I mean, with that? Like the paladin has smite. Uh, you know, the sorcerer has fireball. So the, and fireball does something what you'd expect, right? It's an AOE that that does damage. Now, like in typical RPGs, what's the most exciting thing is when you get the ding. I leveled mm-hmm. up. There's a concept of that here. Once you get enough XP from you know uh, dealing damage to people, etc. You have upgrade cards that when you hit that ding, you get to pick one to apply and make your character a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, I love progression systems and leveling up during the this actual fight is actually kind of fun. And we tried to theme it so that the abilities do different things. So you're not always going to take the same level up with the same character. Like the next time you level up with that character, you're like, oh, wait, this is way better for how this fight, how this scenario is going. So we wanted to give people that choice. Uh, let's see. Okay, yeah. So we're in a dungeon and we're crawling around. Well, what might you run into? A treasure chest. There'll be mm-hmm. treasure chests lying around. And when you go open up a treasure chest, you'll have a bag that's pre-configured uh, before the game with some tokens that are in the bag. You'll reach your hand in and pull out three and get to pick one uh, that you get to keep and put the others back in the bag. But... But you don't know what might be in that uh, treasure chest. It could be a trap. It could be something. It could be a mimic (laughs) that that jumps out and comes after you. So you hope it's something that you can use, but it could also be something that attacks you too, which I think is very clever. So not only is it a miniatures game where you're fighting against an opponent, 
you've got monsters that you're dealing with, and it's somewhat of a dungeon crawler. Yeah, I mean, that, that's D&D, though, right? The loot is so important. It's so essential. And we also wanted the loot to always be impactful. So the items are, are pretty powerful, but you're kind of incentivized to go after them because we wanted it. We didn't want it to be an afterthought, right? And you do know what's in that bag because it is preset by the scenario mm-hmm. uh, uh, that, that goes Right, in. you know what could what the possibilities are, right? Right, yeah. right. And there's a... Uh, Talking about abilities that you have, there's there's so many different ones. I mean, there is like, you know, I just tacked directly. There's AOE or area of effect tax. There are mm-hmm. cone attacks. All that is built into the system, which I think is just, just really, really clever. To me, this is one of those things when I played it, I thought, okay, I want to play a game that I can see that is designed to be very much expanded and the design space is meant to be played with and modified over the over the years with extra scenarios and abilities and maps. And you and Travis have done an amazing job. What I feel is just a very good core system to build on from there. Thank you for saying that because we, that's what exactly how we felt too. That this is a really exciting system with a lot of design space. Like this is a great engine. And some of the core scenarios, like are we we did some uh, I thought some very cool things, but. I mean, I can't wait to show people what we have coming down the line because we take all the c- concepts that are in the core set and uh, in some cases go a little bonkers, uh, both in like the scenario design and the character design. And there's so many things I hadn't even touched on. I'm just like flipping through the rule book here. There's all these mm. condition tokens that could be put on people where they're dazed or stunned or slowed. It's just full of things that you would expect in a D&D style game. And again... Coming from a video game style thing, if you go into play some sort of dungeon crawler and the things you got to deal with, the traps and everything, they're they're all built into this game. Now, mm-hmm. this game is uh, basically got the core set. Now, the people I play with, they did have a question. It's like, how much is this thing? I said, it's 140 bucks. Yeah. And I went, whoa, $140. And I understand that might be a little bit of a sticker shock. That That's what we've heard too. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I also uh, point people towards the Black Dragon that you mentioned. And I'm like, if you sold this out of the box, this would be like 60, 70 bucks. Now, we talk about expandability. Actually, you already have some other things coming out. For example, uh, there's the Mini Arrows Faction Pack, which you can already yep. pre-order right now. And the Wed, Wed, Wed Wizards. That's a really good <laughs> Red one. Wizards, Red, yeah. Why'd you make it Red Wizards? I can't say that. Faction it's Pack. It's Forgotten Realms. <laughs> like, I didn't make up that name. They're an existing faction. <laughs> Each of those have six models along with their cards and dials and everything like that. And now those are 60 bucks a pop or what comes to basically like $10 a model. Now right. for a games workshop game, if you play those games, if you got six models for 60 bucks, you would think that's a steal. Now, granted, these are, you know, pre-made and everything like that. But they are pre-painted also. But they are pre-painted. So yes, it is $60, but that is a whole new faction that you could use. And I also want to mention yep. too, let's talk about the future of, creating new factions. So I have six models, five go out on the board. Are mm-hmm. you going to expand it? Like, will there be more mini arrows instead of six? Maybe it's 12 to choose from. So they actually announced the next expansion for the Harpers and the Zentarum. So all the existing factions are going to get at least one extra, I guess, like booster of, of extra characters. So yes, you will have more. And also uh, the Cell Swords, which is the mercenary faction, though you can have one mercenary character, one Cell Sword in your army too. So you can kind of see those guys and plug and play them where you feel like that faction has a has a hole. Ah, uh, okay. Now I didn't realize that. So you can actually splash your faction uh, with maybe a mercenary. It's like, man, I, I'm missing this one guy, and you can look at the mercs and go. That mm-hmm. guy will fit perfect into here. Yes. Will you also have expansions of like additional monsters and stuff like that? The environment. For sure. Yep. 
New, new monsters, new scenarios. Yeah, new it's, map. It's, it's on new maps. Yep, it's all coming. I, just out of curiosity, okay, I bought the base set. I love all these scenarios. We ever like put like just free scenarios on the WizKids website to play with and try? They actually did that. Uh, it's ddonslot.com. It has its own website, and we did put a couple of the organized play scenarios up there already. Uh, and we do have plans for a lot of free DLC. We're trying to figure out the cadence of how we want to roll that out, but we want to do it like, you know, once every couple of weeks, you know, you, you know, you can check the site and there'll be a new scenario for you or something. All right. So you, you mentioned organized play. Let's hit that real quick. Let's say, okay, mm -hmm. cool. That sounds great. This is going to be something I want to get into. It's a lifestyle game when I can continue playing and I'm a super competitive guy. What do you have to offer me? All right. So there are exclusive sculpts, but it's cosmetic. But the first one is the Mimic miniature. I don't know if you've seen that, uh -huh. uh, that Mimic figure. That's going to be the first one. And also uh, foil cards that go with it. But that Mimic is awesome. Uh, that's going to be just the first kind of starter OP kit to get uh, retailers interested and get the, the ones interested. But then they have, eventually we'll have exclusive sculpts. So it's going to be the same figures, but in different poses and with slightly different gear. So if you have that figure, you know that you want a tournament or you went on eBay and bought it from someone who won a tournament. And how will tournaments be run? Well, it's like everybody plays the same scenario or how will that work exactly? So we have a, a set of organized play uh, scenarios. So there'll be a format. Um, like if you've played like a MOBA, mm -hmm. you, I, I'm guessing the retailers are going to pick a pool of maps and then, you know, the map gets revealed, you know, and then you pick your five out of the, uh, your five guys to, to make your army. Organized play is going to be well supported. Yes. And I, I, you know, I know at Origins each year there's a huge Hero Clicks tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, so I assume you want to get to the point where you could possibly do, you know, regionals and nationals and stuff like that too. Yes, hundred uh, percent. That's my dream. Is that there's a like a world event at Gen Con or uh, and Adepticon where, uh, in March we're actually running a bunch of onslaught events and there's going to be kind of an at least exclusive, at least timed exclusive where there's exclusive uh, Death Knight sculpts. So there's a special scenario we made just for Adepticon that uh, you know we'll release eventually for everybody later. For those who don't know, Adepticon is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, miniatures uh, convention here in the U.S. Like, you know, Games Workshop, everybody's there. Every big miniature mm -hmm. company is there. So you're now making a presence of that. Now, I don't know if they're going to do this, but I'm just spitballing here for an idea in case anybody wants it. WizKids, I know, also makes these uh, terrain uh, things that are used for maps and stuff like that. Yeah, the Warlock stuff, yeah. Yeah, it'd be really cool if on like the map I have, if they gave me the walls that I could put on the map to just make it more immersive. Any, any talk of doing that? We've had those discussions. I can't say anything but um, official, but we've, we've definitely had those discussions. Uh, just coming from a miniatures gamer, you know, I'm, when mm -hmm. I'm used to playing War Machine, there are... Zs, you know, there, there's actual physical uh, terrain pieces on the board. Having physical walls and stuff like that would be cool, and it has some immersion too. So you're speaking about stuff that you can't speak about. I'm going to ask <laughs> it anyway. So going on right now is this insane stuff, if y'all hadn't kept mm. up with it, is uh, Wizards of the Coast has announced that they're coming out with a new uh, OGL, Open Gaming License, that was supposedly called one point. One, and now they said, no, 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 we're going to come out with version 2.0. There's been a lot of pushback. So my immediately thought was, well, wait a minute. Is this going to affect WizKids because they have a license with them? And how is that working? Is that, is that I know that y'all are in talk somehow. Y'all be infected by this in any way? I, I could speak in very, like, I'm going to have to couch this in kind of like generalities. But I know WizKids, you know, they have their own custom licensing agreement with Wizards of the Coast, as do a lot of the other big companies. Like Critical Role has an exclusive agreement with them. And I'm only a freelancer. I'm not a lawyer. So 
caveat ABC, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we went through them all, right? So we, we did kind of have the sense that some things were changing behind the scenes. We've always worked with the same licensing team, and they're phenomenal. They're great. I love working with them on the limited times I get on the call with Wizards of the Coast employees. Something changed in their process a few months ago. And so we kind of had, and, and it wasn't from them. It was kind of like the directives were changed. So we kind of had the sense that things were changing behind the scenes. So I wasn't completely taken off guard when, when they announced the potential changes to the OGL. couple last things. How often will new content products be released throughout the year? Is the idea is like every couple months we'll give you something? Or do you know the release plan schedule? I think we've only announced up to six months. But there is planned to be at least something every month or every other month. So it's not always going to wow. be new figures. But it's, it's a very ambitious release schedule. And I, I signed a contract for multiple years uh, to design. Without getting specifics, but this is not meant to be uh, like a, a quick one and done game. Uh, they want something with legs. Yes. Much like they've established, honestly, with Heroclix, which has been around since, what's it been, 12, 13 years? When did it come out? Oh, like 2007, 8, something like yeah, that? Yeah, Heroclix has been around forever. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, ideally, this would be another Heroclix that, you know, maybe we can be talking about this in 10 years from now. <laughs> okay. So, another question popped in my head. So, I, I will say this uh, you've got this great system. Is it too tied to D&D to where it could possibly be themed and used for something else? Uh, I get asked this question a lot, um, <laughs> and I cannot say anything about it. Okay, I, got it. But it's a very natural question, right? Yeah. It's like, well, I'm not really into D&D, but I'm into this. Can you port a system to that sort of deal? I, I, I think the system is great. Uh, obviously, I'm biased. But I think other properties could very much benefit from a system like this. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. So I've asked a lot of stuff. What else is there you'd like to tell everyone that I have not, or we have not talked about yet when it comes to Dungeons and Dragons Onslaught? I think we hit all the main ones, but for me, this was just a dream to work on because I've been a fan of Dungeons and Dragons ever since I was a little kid. I was like five years old. I had an older brother who was eight. We had a babysitter who brought over the original Red Box and taught us how to play. My parents apparently were cool with that. Uh, but like I've been playing D&D ever since I was five years old. So this has been a dream to work on. And also know that video game wise, you're a huge fan of tactical games. Yes. Yes. So maybe we could talk to Square Enix. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I also made a game that was a love letter to Final Fantasy Tactics too. Yes. Yeah. I know you're a Fire Emblem fan. This this will yeah. work in Fire Emblem also. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going off the off the deep end there. Hey, if you know anybody who can give us the Fire Emblem license, just you know, <laughs> let, them, let them know. Send them my way. Well, I, I will tell you, I can see your love for tactical video games in this game. I, I can see your love for dungeon crawlers and for D&D itself. Uh, you and Travis, I think seriously, after I played it, just the first time I told my friend, I said, this system is really, really good. Even though we've just scratched the surface, we've mm. seen enough just after this one game before I even played others of what can be done with this, with new maps and, and everything like that. New scenarios, every time you play, it could feel different. The the, the leveling up, the, the cool down, so many, so many cool effects. So I, I can't wait for people to try this out, and hopefully they will. I know there's a little bit of sticker shock there, but I really think there's a lot of hours in this, just the core game itself. Yeah, thanks. And I hope people feel the same way, and we'll find out when the game releases later this week. Yep. So if y'all are interested, you can go to, what is it? Uh, what's the website again? D&D Onslaught? Yeah, dndonslaught.com. Yeah. .com to find out more about it, or you can just head over to the the Kids. It is, I'm looking at Miniature Market right now. It's like 
there's all the pre-order stuff is there. I'm sure it's going to be for a bunch of retailers, uh, online or local game stores. So Nick, you and Travis, I hopefully have many, many years of uh, working with this game. Best of luck. Thank you again so much uh, for coming on. I mean, I'm just like, duh. The designer could sit there and say and talk more intelligently than I ever could. So once again, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Hey, y'all. I'm going to do a solo five-minute initiative on a game that I just got to play. Now, the reason why it's solo because Tony was out of town and he didn't get a chance to play it with us. But I, I am so excited because of how much I enjoyed this game. This is a new game from... Plat Hat Games called Hickory Dickory, designed by Sawyer West, plays one to four players in uh, 60 minutes to two hours. Now, Hickory Dickory, if that sounds familiar, you know, Hickory Dickory Dock, the mouse went up the clock. Well, guess what? The game board itself is a clock and you're playing as mice. Now, the core system here is a worker placement system where you're trying to collect some tiles over the course of the game, turning those tiles to collect victory points. But before I get into any of that, Y'all, you got to go see some pictures of this or see this board in person. This is one of the best looking game boards I've seen in a long time. It looks exactly like a cuckoo clock uh, with a big face on it. It's got the chains at the bottom. What do you call those things? The weights at the bottom. Anyway, uh, they're, they're on there. And these really, really cool minute and hour hands that you assemble and put on the board itself. That is an integral part of the game because... The minute hand is where your mice worker meeples can be placed and then used during the course of the game. So what happens is you got the face of the clock and each number on the clock has an action associated with it. And at the beginning of the game, you got your three mouse meeples that are randomly put around different numbers on the clock. And at the start of a round, the minute hand is going to start at the 12, then go to the 1, then to the 2. And if it ever gets to a location to where there's a mouse there, or actually a mouse on the minute hand itself, which we're talking about in a minute, you got some options to take. If you're already sitting on that a number there, you have the option to take the action that's at that number. I'll explain what some of those actions are in a little bit. They're actually really simple. Or what you can do is hop onto the minute hand itself. And then as the minute hand continues to rotate around, when you stop at a number, you have the option to hop off of the minute hand at that number and then take that action. So how cool is that? So what's a, once a mouse is on the board, it's either going to be at a number on the clock or on the hand itself as it goes around. And when the minute hand makes a complete revolution around the clock or basically a one hour time, that indicates a round and you're going to play the course over five rounds. That in itself is the whole... I I ain't going to use the word gimmick because it makes it sound cheap. That is the cool mechanism of the game. Now, the actions you can take are really interesting things where you can, uh, let's say you claim tiles. Now, that's kind of the whole goal of the game because each of the mice meeples that you have, you have a board associated with it where you can store tiles on a board. And in a couple of the numbers, you have the actions to actually deliver tiles. And when you deliver tiles is when you actually score your points. You're going to score a point uh, for all the tiles that are delivered by that one mouse from that one board, you're going to count up the highest grouping of the same color, gain one point for each of those. Highest grouping of the same symbol, get one point for each of those. And you actually have these quest cards that are on the board. And if you deliver the types of tiles it's looking for, 
you get to claim an additional five points. So that really is the main goal of the game is to be able to collect these tiles and then turn them in. But that's not all. The fact is, is the mouse that does the deliver action, it can only deliver from its card. But if two of your mice are on the same number, they can openly trade with each other. So now you got to decide, hmm, I want to do a deliver action, but this mouse meeple over here has stuff I need to get on this tile. So I need to hop on the minute hand right over to this guy. And at that point, do the trade so that when this mouse does the delivery, then I have all the tiles I need to get the most maximum amount of points. Oh, it's so good. So many really good decisions you have to make of when do I stay at the number I'm on? When do I hop back on the minute hand? Oh, but there's a little bit more than that because guess what? The minute hand can only hold so many mice. And if you're at the front of the line and the, the minute hand's full of mice meeples and somebody jumps in the back, it pushes you off. Then you either have to take the action that you were pushed off on or you have the option to jump back one number and take that action. But y'all, there's even more. I love games where the workers do different, have different roles, and this has that. For example, one mouse has a card that can hold five tiles where most of them hold four. One mouse, when he jumps off the hand, he can either take that action or the next number higher or two numbers higher than that going clockwise around the board. So he can scamper. He could jump to future actions if he needs to. One is if you activate him, you can teleport him around to any part of the board. And then one is one of the actions you could take is just dig your hand into a bag of tiles and pull one out. If one particular mouse takes that action, you get to draw one additional tile. Oh, by the way, the tiles, super nice acrylic tiles. You know, Azul, you know how nice those tiles are? It's the exact same thing. Y'all, I know I've gone over five minutes, but I'm telling you right now, everybody at the table absolutely love this game and everybody thought oh i don't know you've got mice riding around on a hand how gimmicky is that we use the term gimmicky and after it was over it's like no that was solid that was good you had to make some really interesting decisions of do i use a mouse to jump off here should i stay here if if i jump off here oh by the way one thing is uh at the beginning of a round every number has a random tile dropped off at the number and the person who jumps off of that number has the option to claim that tile, but then it's not real refilled to the end of the round. So sometimes you want to be first off at a number so you can get a free tile off of it. It looks amazing on the table. People are walking by McAllister's going, what is that? It just looks really good on the table. Fun game. The actions are super simple. There are a couple other actions I didn't go over. One of them is you have like a little mouse token that can run up the chain at the bottom of the clock. And once they cross over a certain number of chain links, they can earn points. So when they get to the top, they earn a bonus point, drop to the bottom, and they can start over again. So that is another way to score points. But the main thing is with the tile collection and, and turning them in. Y'all, hickory dickory. Don't be fooled by the cuteness of the game. This is a solid worker placement game with one of the most unique worker placement mechanisms I've seen in quite a while. Five minute initiative is complete. I know you had a break. I had some vacation. You had some vacation. We always talk video games. Mm -hmm. I see something here. About a video game that I think's a movie? No, that was Inception versus Inscription. That was Inception, yeah. So last year, no, actually it's in 2021. 
Uh, there's a game that came out called Inscription, which looks like a card or deck building game that's kind of like a roguelike game. And I heard a lot of amazing things about it, but it's one of those things that was kind of in the queue, but never got to it. Well, eventually came out for Switch last year, and I said, okay, I'm going to put it in my wish list. And then after enough $5 rewards from GameStop, I decided to go ahead and spend 20 bucks and get it. And I'm having a blast with this game. And everybody told me, and every review I read said, do not read anything about this game. That's the fun of this game, is discovering the mystery yourself. And I must say... I enjoy peeling back this multi-layered onion of a game that I've been playing. It starts out one way and turns into something that just is not expected. I is, is, And the card game itself that you play during the game is actually fun. So I'm really enjoying it. Okay. And it's a short game. It probably plays in like 10, 12 hours. I was looking over my uh, Switch account and I was like, okay, what do I need to do here with the games and I started Monster Sanctuary. Haven't gotten that far in it, but that was something I got from 2022. That's I don't know that one. That's the one where you're leveling up a tech tree with your various Pokemon type pets, and it's, that's how I look okay. at it. Um, okay. Then I started God of War, but I haven't gotten back to it. But then, of course, thanks to Marty being in my wallet, I'm back in Guild Wars, full full force, baby. Here I come. I bought the Dragon expansion. I need to go figure out how to fly and do all that so I can clear some jumping puzzles. I'm doing achievements now. I'm haven't started crafting again, thank goodness. I, there's still there that game for such an old game. There is so much to it, so much to it. So you haven't entered into Dragons yet? Mm-mm, I have not. Okay, you, the the beginning of it you got to do by yourself. It's like a solo thing okay. to kick it off, and it, t- it takes like thirty minutes or so. Once you do that, come get me. I have a character sitting there right towards the beginning that I'm ready to level up and go explore and everything, and we'll do it together. So, okay, let me ask you this. Why are you not using your original character? I am now. I'm back to him. Okay. My original character was an engineer. I got sick of playing it. End of Dragons added a new specialization that looks really cool. It's called a mechanist where he gets a robot. So I want to use him to play now through End of Dragons so I can get him hero points to apply to his specialization so he can unlock all of his stuff for Mechanist. And I didn't realize how many YouTube channels are still covering this and dropping stuff weekly. It's unreal. I'm like, holy. Oh, yeah. that. Well, because they're still releasing content. Mm-hmm. End of Dragons not even a year old yet. And I'm like, and they talk about fractals and all this stuff. And I'm like, I need to go do a dungeon. And wait a minute, I never went to this land in Tyria. I need to go over there. Oh, wait, if I complete all these maps, I get special stuff. What is all this other stuff? Now I'm, now I'm getting junk collector achievements. What is going on here? Stop it. So, but you said the other day in Discord, you actually visited World versus World. How was that? That was a blast. Really? Did you just hook up with the group and run with them? I didn't go into their chat, but yeah, I just did that. I just ran with them because it was one of the achievements to go into world versus world. I quickly Mm -hmm. died because my character is so out of sync with the uh, specializations. Probably that and just uh, your armor level probably just isn't isn't where it needs to be. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's 80 with the highest. It's not ascended or one of these other terms. Yeah, but not I mean but now you almost need to like legendary and stuff like stuff like that. Okay, I, in those areas. Hey, I don't even know what all that is. And I noticed the runes have all changed that you put in your armor because there are some special ones out there. I'm like, 
Wow. And crafting is now up to 500. I'm just like, yep. my goodness. Uh, my chef isn't what he used to be. But I will say it's fun pulling out some of the recipes that I had eight years ago and putting them uh-huh. on the Black Lion because nobody's doing them. Oh, so you, are you making money doing that? Not a lot, but just enough. Okay. You know, so that's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't care anymore. I just, I do like some of the value of life changes they made, like selling at the Black Lion. When we first started out, you couldn't get to the bank unless you were in the capital city. And you all, now there's banks everywhere and there's Black Lion trading everywhere. That's been a, right. that's a huge. And then I went and got some chest that I had a three tricolor key and it, did mm-hmm. something for me. And I'm like, wow, I don't know what's going on here, but let's just, let's just go out and kill some oozes. <laughs> I just opened chest and just sell it. <laughs> I'm probably selling stuff I shouldn't be selling, but I know that if you want a flying mount, you need like a hundred gold. Why? I thought that was part of being a dragon. Nope. Flying babies cost you going to cost you some money. Okay. Well, that sucks. What mounts do you have now? I don't have, all I have is the little Raptor. That's when I got it and stopped. Oh, okay. So if you ever want to do that, I will also run with you in that expansion to unlock your mounts. I've unlocked the next two, but I still need to lock, unlock another one after that. Yeah, something about teleporting. You can do some teleporting. Somebody. Well, there's a rabbit you can get that jumps high. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, a, a Manta or something like that where it allows you to, to go on water. There's turtles that fly on water. What turtle? No, it's not. It's not turtles that fly. It's the end of dragon gives you a turtle where you can have somebody else ride with you. Yeah. But he has a rocket on him. I was flying around with him. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But then there's also the flying mounts that you can get, but they're expensive. See, I thought for sure that those would be part of the game, but I guess not. That's okay. Well, they are part of the game. It's just, it costs you a hundred gold to (sighs) unlock it. Well, number one, every mount's going to cost, it's going to cost you something. Well, of course, nothing's for free. What, what, what do we start no. the show with? Microtransactions. <laughs> hey, yeah, well, that's the thing with Guild Wars. It is a no monthly subscription, but they got to make money somehow. Well, and so, well, I, but that's in-game currency. You can't buy gold. No, you can't. But I did buy some gems because I unlocked an additional backpack because I needed to. Oh, yeah. I've unlocked backpacks. I've unlocked bank accounts. I've unlocked <laughs> material supplies. I've unlocked backpacks for different characters. Heck yes. Yeah. I even watched some guy tier the um, stuff that you can do the gems on. And he was like the, one of the biggest things was the salvage kits that never break. Yeah. I was like, yeah, holy cow. I'm sure. So anyway, we need one of our longest reviews. We don't need this to be one of our longest shows. So with that, the, the ending's not going to change in 2023. Keep rolling dice and taking names. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. You can support the show over at buymeamoonpie.com. We would greatly appreciate it. Please join our Discord channel. Follow us on social media at Dyson Names. And we hope you come back for our next exciting episode. Okay, we hope you come back for our next episode. New year. Are you still doing uh, dad jokes? Oh, you know, I will. There's no doubt. Like, I mean, it was a new year. How many did you use on new years? Like I remember the last year, like it was yesterday. I haven't eaten all year. I mean, I know you were dropping them. Or were you in bed? I was not dropping those. Were you dropping those? Heck yeah.